Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What is up, Gypsy Gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast and pretty stoked to bring you this one. Been working on getting this one done since, oh, kind of towards the end of last year, actually. Jeff Emig is multi-time AMA national motocross and supercross champion uh a really storied career throughout the 90s famous battles with jeremy mcgrath uh, motocross of nations wins and losses and then he moved into the broadcast booth uh and really created an era of motocross announcing with ralph shaheen uh that came to an end in i think he said it was like 2017 uh, but it actually just opened up the door for this new chapter with the guys at world supercross so this was a really cool episode of the podcast cool timing with world supercross just about to kick off in the coming months um and yeah this was an awesome episode jeff's a really really rad guy with a lot of pers- different perspective on life uh and I could have easily done this podcast for another three or four hours. Um, so I think part two is definitely in the works. But for now, enjoy this podcast with Jeff Emig. Before we get into the show, though, just a quick word from some of our sponsors. And this episode is brought to you by the team at Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens AG1 is the first port of call for me each and every morning. And in my experience, this is easily the healthiest habit that you can form. uh, And it takes just under a minute of your day each day. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I like using AG1. Actually, I love using AG1. Firstly, doing it habitually every morning sets me in the right path with my health. Not only is it amazing for my body, but mentally I know that before I've done anything else in the morning, I'm already kind of on the path that I want to be on. Secondly, to get the same nutritional benefits by using separate vitamins would not only take a crazy amount of time, but I'm probably not smart enough to actually source all of the ingredients that AG1 packs into their formula. AG1 is a one scoop formula that you mix with between 8 to 12 ounces of water and you're done. That's it. And it has been a part of millions of mornings since 2010. Not only that, I really enjoy the taste of it as well. Now, since using AG1 on a consistent basis, I've noticed a massive change for the better on my overall gut health and digestion. I would feel bloated after eating big meals and this left me feeling tired and lethargic. And I've also noticed a difference in my energy levels and I seem to be able to maintain a more consistent level throughout each day. 
On top of that, I can notice a difference in my skin, hair, and nails. And let's face it, I'm not getting any younger. Maybe the best part about working with the team at Athletic Green so far in 2023 is that it has been helping the Gypsy Gang as well. I've had a bunch of messages from people who started using AG1 after listening to the show and they've all had their own success stories and it's been really cool to hear. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash gypsytales. Now you must use the link. This isn't a code. That link is athleticgreens.com slash gypsytales. We are also brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped and we thank them for sponsoring this episode. And if you didn't already know, the global leaders in below the waist grooming aren't just going gold this season. They're going platinum you heard that right. Manscaped has taken their signature performance package 4.0 to the moon with their upgraded platinum package. With products ranging from shower goods to ball care, this is their sleekest, sexiest, and smoothest bundle yet. It's time to go platinum and join the now 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code gypsy gang now the manscape performance package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man that deserves it all and you yes you you are the man that deserves it all inside this platinum package you'll find their lawn mower 4.0 trimmer brand new weed whacker 2.0 which is awesome by the way uh, that is the ear nose and hair trimmer the ultra premium body wash ultra premium two-in-one shampoo and conditioner which i go through quite a lot with all of this hair and their ultra premium deodorant crop preserver anti-chafing ball deodorant which is handy for those days at the track and their crop reviver ball spray toner anti-chafing boxes and the shed travel bag to hold all of your goods you get all of that in one package and i can tell you it is extremely handy, especially that travel bag. That thing has gone all over with me. We've been working with the guys at Manscaped for a long time now, and I just can't tell you how important it is to just get a nice routine around grooming. And these guys just have it dialed. When you get one of these performance package 4.0s, it's pretty much like the last male self-care pack that you need to get. And it's one of the reasons why we love working with the guys at Manscaped. Now, you can get all of this for 20% off plus free shipping with the code GYPSYGANG at manscaped.com. That is 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code GYPSYGANG. Get a taste of the finer things in life with Manscaped. Now, very similar to the team at Manscaped with their all-in-one performance package, this podcast is brought to you by the team at Crush Oz. They are the professional bike care company designed by riders for riders. If you head to crushoz.com, you'll see a whole host of amazing products to keep your dirt bike or mountain bike in A1 condition. 
If, however, you are looking for an all-in-one solution to detailing your whip, then I would suggest adding the Crush Pro Bike Care Bucket to your cart and working your way through that magic little box. It contains everything that you need to keep your ride looking amazing and is based around the premium range of Crush Bike Care products. This kit also includes four important tools to most effectively use these products. In this one handy bucket, you will receive the Crush Drivetrain Degreaser, one liter of foaming rapid wash, a 400 gram aerosol of after wash bike spray, the Crush Brush, which is ideal for all types of frames, wheels, and overall washing, the bike sponge, chamois, a microfiber cloth, and this all fits in one handy 10 liter bucket. Crush has been a longtime supporter of the podcast. And there is a reason that we look no further when it comes to taking care of our quiver of bikes. Find out more by visiting crushoz.com. We're also brought to you by the guys and the girls at the unbelievably good Fist Handwear. I have been putting in a bunch of motos lately uh, and I did the unthinkable the other day. Did a moto in a pair of other gloves because I ripped my fist gloves in a weird collision with a uh, some desert foliage and I had to switch gloves and I got the worst blisters I've ever got in my life and look it's not very often that I'll wear another glove but when I do it just makes me realize how lucky I am to have been wearing fist handwear for over 10 years now if you have never tried fist gloves i suggest that you go to the website and go to fisthandwear.com use the code gypsy gang you're gonna get 15 percent off but you are also going to get the most unbelievable riding experience of your life when it comes to gripping onto your handlebars whether it's bmx whether it's mountain bikes whether it's moto but they're called fist handwear for a reason it's because they make the best handwear in the game we're also brought to you by the guys at tropical auto group uh, and if you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, then you can't buy anything without picking up the phone and calling Kyle. Kyle has been keeping us moving for the past three years and countless other members of the Gypsy Gang. Tropical Auto Group in Rockhampton stock Ford, Mitzi, Kia, Isuzu, and Great Wall. And for the last 12 months, we've been wheeling that new D-Max. If you're looking for a new ute for work or play, I cannot recommend that rig enough. We've driven it from Melbourne to Cape York and it's safe to say she has passed the test. Head to tropicalautogroup.com.au and make sure you ask for Kyle. That's it for me and the ads. I appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, if you want to get these podcasts early and without the ads, you can head to gypsytales.com and join our membership site. You will get a link to a private RSS feed where this podcast has been up for over a week. Much more coming in the, uh, in the next few weeks. So once again, thank you all for listening. Stay tuned and uh, see you on the next one. You know, when you feel like when everything's good, like you know what that feeling is. Yeah. And then when you haven't ridden forever, you you know right away, like yeah. it ain't gonna be like that. And that that time that it takes to get back into bike shape, uh, it really kind of sucks, you know, I mean, on that side of it, but it's still, I mean, I really enjoy it. That's why I do it. You know? How, um, how in shape did you get for Loretta's? Uh, full on. 
really as good as i could be at that age yeah oh, like yeah, sure. like testosterone replacement human growth hormone <laughs> no like that, no that good a shape. no <laughs> i just stopped drinking for like three months you know yeah, yeah. Got, tried to get some sleep rode my mountain bike a bunch yeah um you know doing motos with you know keep in mind you know i've ridden a 150 for the last four four yeah. years or so and so you know each step of the way you're kind of making the bike better and getting a little more serious but what sucks is like yesterday i went out to fox raceway and still kind of learning my bike and you know like i said out of shape i mean there's at least like 12 top pro guys that are out there you know anderson's blowing by me like every third lap he's lapping me yeah you yeah. know and you're like you know so you really have to put the ego in check you can't you know you can't you know trick yourself into thinking that you should be something because yeah 25 you years were ago you were yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but i mean dude yeah i mean it's been a long time and so i feel like i do a really good job with that though yeah i'm just really conscious of those guys because the what always goes through my head on days like that is i don't want to make a mistake and like you know, actually them, clip yeah. one of these guys yeah, or yeah. mess up their lap times or, you know, do something where they get hurt or something, you know, it'd be the last thing that I'd want to do. You know, I mean, you know, I'm even super conscious of it. Like I know these guys are on the clock and they're pumping out their laps. You know, somebody else can block their lap time, but it ain't going to be me, you know? Yeah. So I think it's, I just, I personally think it's rad that you're still not just riding, but you know you're kind of out there you're in super good shape like i think that you know you switch gears from being this aspirational 250 supercross champ like outdoors dude like that's yeah. aspirational to a point but then i think yeah. now i think one of the i don't know maybe one of like the key things you can do as you get a little bit older is just be a general ambassador for the sport because yeah i mean dude to be riding in your 50s like that's fucking that's what i want in my life you know I remember, uh, so some some years ago, a whole group of us, you know, had a big friend group, and um, Victor Sheldon, uh, the yeah, jet ski yeah, champion, yeah, right? Yeah. He was turning thirty, and we and we went to his birthday party, and I remember thinking, "Holy shit, he's thirty! He's so damn old!" Yeah, yeah, right. And you, you know, once you get there, you realize, "Oh no, this isn't that's you know whatever you thought then," but. I mean, to be fair, you know, things, it, it, it really started to change for me when my eyesight um, started to go. And that was probably when I was 47, 48. Yeah. And most guys say, oh, no, you know, usually it's 40, 42 is when it goes. But for me, it was a little bit later. But surely when I ride, like, you know, things just aren't as crisp and yeah. as, they, as they used to be. And that's maybe the most... Uh, you know the most frustrating thing is really being able to like you just see every grain of sand every you know <clears throat> everything is just so <clears throat> you know in like 4k you know yeah. and now i'm i'm back to like standard definition where i'm kind of seeing some shaded areas <laughs> yeah. and that and that that really is the thing you know other than not being in great shape or you know getting a little arm pump or whatever the eyesight thing I think is what really slows you down huh man i've uh, always when you get to this age i've always wondered because i mean obviously i wear glasses like if if i'm not if basically if i'm not riding or doing jujitsu i'm wearing glasses like i can't see fucking 
anything, man. And I've always yeah, yeah. See, I wear readers. I wear readers like in the mornings yeah. I'll get up and if I'm on the phone laying in bed, I got to, you know, I got to have some readers on. Or if, if I go to a restaurant, the worst thing is you go to a restaurant, nice Italian restaurant, low light, start to have a little glass of wine. Once that <laughs> wine hits, I can't see shit. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm the guy with my phone out. I got the light going, you know, <laughs> taking and, a picture uh, and like zooming in on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if how much that that's me making excuses for being slow, but I've always wondered, like, I wish I had a well, really it's, good it's a valid one. Glasses. So you can pull that card. Yeah. You can pull the card if you want. It's <laughs> yeah, valid. I, think, I think I might need to, uh, um, hey, but you know, what's interesting thinking about eyesight. Um, I never like, this never was an excuse during my career, but I look back now and you think about this thing and that thing. For me, Supercross, like my, I always yeah, felt nighttime. like it was really hard to see. Yeah. Nighttime, the lights, my, my eyes used to water a lot. And even now when I ride, like even on the hottest days, I tape my goggles up all the way around my goggles because any sort of airflow huh. makes my eyes water. My eyes are kind of watering right now for some reason. But I specifically can look back and think, wow, man, I remember that race or that race. Like if the, you know, uh, the stadium lighting was weird or, yeah. or something had an issue and you correlate it to, to racers. And like, if you've ever played golf with Carmichael or uh, McGrath, like when you tee the ball off, they, they're like, oh yeah, you know, your ball's, you know, way down there. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I, I can't see shit. Yeah. Those guys have excellent, excellent eyesight. And I wonder if that wasn't something that was a big advantage for them. Man, it's crazy. I don't think it gets talked about that much. Um, but there was a video, Wes's video that they did for uh, for Flight Plan with Jet. There was a Unadilla last year. Jet was having a bunch of crashes. It was just like a real off day for him. And in the video, Dazzy Lawrence goes, man, your eyes are just too quick today. Like your eye speed, I can tell your eye speed's too quick. He's like, today's just not your day. You're too fast for the track. And that comment stuck really in my yeah. head. I mean, first of all, imagine knowing your kid that well that you can make a comment yeah. like that and sure. just be so bang on. But then secondly, you know, that eye speed, because... I mean, dude, I've always, I've always thought that, eh? Like even, um, like now in Dubai, there's this, I'm riding this massive, uh, sand track and it's like a, uh, six minute lap As time. opposed to the really hard clay <laughs> yeah, tracks well, that's, that are there. That's all I got. <laughs> now there is one like kind of hard pack track, but I haven't fucked with it cause I'd have to put a different tire on. But, uh, but yeah, like I notice at high speeds, man, like just not, I can't really see shit. And I'm like, I wonder if that's the same for everyone. It just looks like one big blur and I'm just fucking holding the thing wide open. And after a while, you just like kind of know where the track goes. I seen this Instagram post yesterday, day before I passed it around to my friend group. It was a story about Senna when he clips yeah. the wall and comes in and he's like, no, the fucking wall moved. And you're like, really dude come on yeah, like, yeah. you might not a, you, you sure it wasn't you and they go out and he goes with his you know crew chief or whatever and they, they walk the course and they realize that one of the barriers had gotten tapped and it was literally moved out like five millimeters and he knew and he's like oh see the wall did move and you're like yeah that's that's i i think that all of the top athletes drivers you know i think that the you get on this level um, of greatness and you have this this focus and vision and this ability to see the sport 
what yeah. you're doing, slow things down, and to be so precise that average people, average rider, like in our sport, they don't, you can try to explain that to them, but they're like, they don't know that. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, w- people ask me all the time, like, <clears throat> with the top riders in the sport, and let's just use like James Stewart, for instance, because to me, he's one of the most dynamic, explosive riders that, that I ever got to analyze. And it's like, well, how does a guy do that? And in my my opinion of it or analysis is that in his mind, everything is going slow. It's just normal, yeah. Yeah. That's all fine. And surely there's got to be a little bit of your DNA, like a little bit of 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 how you're made that that you, you know um makes that possible also you know you probably can push that limit to slow things down in your head you know um and and you got to think with like major league baseball players you know I have friends yeah. that were top players and all this it's like dude how long is it from the point that a 100 mile an hour pitch leaves the pitcher's hand and it's at like 110 when it leaves the hand and the ball actually slows down to when it goes past you but then you have to i remember troy gloss um buddy of mine world series mvp for the angels he says yeah he goes basically by the time the ball comes out of the pitcher's hand you got to know what you're doing yeah it's like so how do you slow that down and they they're like for them you know you take guys like gary sheffield mark mcguire they were late swingers so they would wait and then have this massively explosive fast twitch on the ball so they had the ability to wait at that you know quarter of a second that gives them that extra advantage you know that's probably why like the certain type of steroids help those guys yeah because for sure their quickness and power you know what all are true to that but but for sure their ability to just have everything be in slow motion like in some movie you know the matrix or something. yeah yeah you know? well it's uh there, there's there's four muscles in your eye that are basically <laughs> compensating for every bit of movement um like because so when we walk like we see things pretty level you know like our head's constantly mm-hmm. moving so you've basically got these these i think it's i'm pretty sure it's four muscles in each eye and uh and they do all of the compensation to basically like deliver you one one image you know so that i mean dude there's probably some crazy scientific shit that's in there that like the the recipe that has to happen for a james stewart or a ricky carmichael or a jet lawrence like whether it's you know those muscles are so developed and then mm-hmm. you're born into a family that likes motocross and then you sure. had a older brother that you're competitive with like the recipe that makes people so high level and so elite it's just it's almost like as complicated as dna in a sense you know and i think yeah. that's why i think that's why you just generally have an appreciation for that level of talent too when it when it yeah. comes around well you know, you take uh, cyclists, um, you know, certain cyclists, the, the best guys are genetically born with advantages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, bigger hearts, da, 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 you know, things like that. And for sure, you can push that limit. But, you know, is it that you're, you know, you're built a certain way and it naturally comes easier to you? So, hey, maybe I'll gravitate towards this because I did this really easy, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
But I mean, I always use the example of like Stevie Ray Vaughan or you know Jimi Hendrix. I'm quite sure the first time they picked up a guitar, it made a lot more sense than the first time I picked up a guitar. Yeah, like yeah. they just picked it up and like, oh, this all just kind of makes sense. And so for certain certain you know athletes like in our sport, you get on the motorcycle and you're like, oh, this all just sort of makes sense to me. And there's other riders that we can train and coach, you know, you know, hours and hours and hours. They can get their 10,000 hours in and still yeah. be a B-level rider. Yeah. Because it's just not, you know, so I, I, you know, I think at, at age 52, I know that there are a lot of factors that come into play of why we do what we do and how we become good at, good at what we do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, I, and then I think that that's what makes it, that's what makes sports so amazing. You know, and it's like when yeah. you can, when you can relate, I think it's one of the beautiful things about, about motorcycle racing and two wheeled racing is that it's something that, you know, if you're kind of lucky enough to have exposure to as a kid, whether it's like, you know, your friend has a PW or you get given a bicycle or like you have one for yourself. It's just, at such a young age, you can experience that feeling and then you, you never forget it. And when you see Casey Stoner at Phillip Island or you know you see like james stewart at buds creek or jet lawrence at Anaheim. like it's so it's so inspirational because you can relate in the smallest possible way yeah 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 it's been uh, and it's interesting to think uh you know every now and then i reflect back on my own racing career and and as i as i you know do my job with you know being the analyst on tv and and you're kind of taking your own experience and trying to relate it to what this athlete's doing. Yeah. Um, and then trying to explain that to the viewers, you know, but certainly at times I reflect on it, um, that, you know, I actually feel really, really grateful, like lucky that, yeah. Wow. Did I really get to live that life? And I had that ability and, and more so than anything too, is that, um, and I was just I was just telling the story to some friends the other day about how, you, you know, when you're really locked in a gnarly rivalry, um, you know, sometimes you don't like it because you come out on the on the losing end. You know, yeah. sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. Um, but to be so hyper focused and to be so driven at a singular goal that everything else just gets tuned out. Yep. And to, and you don't really have to do anything else except just that. And you know, business managers and agents and whoever is doing your laundry, you know, everyone's like taking care of stuff for you and all you do is focus on this. That is such a badass thing to Yeah. experience. Yeah. And you know, I, I the average person that um you know, is, is working their job, doing their thing, you know, like I do right now. Like I got all kinds of shit, dude. I did some laundry this morning before I came here. There wasn't anybody like, Hey man, you got to get focused on this podcast with Chase, man. You got to get your fucking head into it. You know, nobody was doing that. Got to take the dog out. Got to feed the dog and do this, you know? And, uh, and so to be able to, to live in that space, uh, and to be able to experience what's that like. And then, you know, um, lucky enough to have um all of that work turn into uh success and live these moments of 
you know, being victorious and winning championships and all that stuff. Man, I look back on that like, holy shit, how lucky am I? You know? Yeah, man. Yeah, it it must be, it must be pretty incredible. Like, first of all, before even that is like did you have the awareness of how special it was when you were in the moment though or is it only in hindsight only only in hindsight you're too busy you're too in the moment yeah and you think that oh this is one there's gonna be another one next year and there's gonna be another one next year and another one the next you know you don't you don't really grasp that um this could be one moment and it could be over um you know because you're you, you know for me i feel like from whenever I first started riding dirt bikes or even racing is that you never thought about anything other than the next race. Yeah. You really didn't look that far ahead. <clears throat> and if I, and if I could be honest about, you know, my, my career is that when I had a ultra successful season from basically the summer of 96, summer of 97, I kind of reached all my goals and I didn't, I didn't really think about what was coming next. Mm. And that was, that was a mistake on my side, you know, on my part. And it wasn't until I had everything taken away from me in the summer of 99 that I said, oh, shit, you know, let me let me uh, get some clarity in my life here. And that's when I kind of said, OK, let me think about what I want to do with my career because it's slipping away. Mm. And I, you know, I had some real come to Jesus moments. <clears throat> um, and, you, you know, the biggest one was that uh, World's world supercross event uh uh races in france it was the first we did in 99 we did three yeah like three race world championship. series yeah it yep. was like france it was an outdoor football stadium soccer stadium we did the rose bowl and then a race in germany or something right and uh that couple weeks before that is when i started you know all the problems uh, with cowie i got clipped you know got on got on a yamaha kind of you know really that's when i realized hey man things are not going in the right direction yeah had a big weekend in vegas for denny stevenson's bachelor party came home from that weekend and it's like wednesday we leave thursday for the world championship and it's wednesday and my mechanic team you know business partner tim dixon he's like hey are you gonna ride before we leave and i'm like i don't think i can dude I, I don't think I should be on a motorcycle today. And it's like, wow, that's really not uh, the right training program. That's not the right place to be in. Yeah. <clears throat> and that weekend we go to that, we go to that race, stacked, stacked race. Um, a ton of good guys uh, from all over the world were there. And I got third that night. And it was, I remember being on the podium. <clears throat> it was like outdoors, you know, and it had rained. So sort of the area where the stands were were covered but the center of the center of the soccer pitch was open the track was built around uh, the soccer pitch and um i remember being on the podium and like all the media's there and photos and you know hold my i think i kept it was it's kind of like a silver plate was the was the trophy for third and i'm like this is the best damn third anybody's ever got the fact that i got a third tonight yeah. like you know, like this is like, I cannot believe that I'm on the podium here tonight. Um, and what's crazy is at that moment, I, I really enjoyed the moment. I enjoyed the race. And you had to walk like kind of catty corner across the stadium to get to where the pits were. So I'm walking across the grass 
on the on the football pitch and I'm literally in the middle of the stadium and imagine like like some movie scene where the rain's coming down and yeah, the lights coming the through lots. the rain yeah, yeah. and I literally at that point I'm getting goosebumps think, thinking about this right now but at that point is when I literally like surrendered like fuck god like help me make some better decisions like what am I doing with my life you know because career and life for us really are not there's no real separation to it yeah and at that point but your life's a lot longer than your career though right and that's where it kind of gets fucked up but at the moment at that time it you know you don't think that there's any difference but um and it was like man I need some clarity in life I gotta make some I gotta make some changes this is what I'm supposed to be doing not what I've been doing for the last year you know um and so I really just got my shit together and and um built my own team and all that stuff won the u.s open had some had some good races and and really sort of turned things around right before it was it was all over no one really i mean especially in the 90s dude like the 90s was the craziest time maybe ever for motocross and supercross and then you're a kid from kansas that has dude, found it's, it. the, it's what the 60s were to rock and roll yeah no the i 90s get, were I get to it motocross i get it was and you know you had you had you guys doing your thing and i'm sure that the whole crusty militia like the success that that was having was kind of making you guys look over the fence and be like well fuck i guess i guess this is this is what a motorcycle is in 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 1997 or whatever and dude i lived in california like these fucking chicks in canyon lake and just pussy everywhere (laughs) like it's easy to make it's easy to make things happen like i mean i get it it's just no one really i guess there's no one that teaches you what to do in that moment there's no one teaches you how to deal with the ego and the the fame and then there's also like an incentive problem for the people that are around you too because like they're 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 on the ride man like it's fucking fun it was great i mean i always had like two or three roommates you know all all dear friends to this day and all that um but and i and i and i enjoyed that those are the choices i made and i live with them and and but the worst thing was that you know for me like whenever i really tried to get serious about it like when i was younger like it didn't i got all balled up yeah and so for me i kind of had to just burn the candle at both ends and and that's you know probably why my career was just so ups and downs it was filled with these low lows and these high highs and and i and i really thrived on the emotion of all that mm. if if i was coaching somebody to do this today i wouldn't want them to go through that mm-hmm. that's just how my life was i i don't you know you you try to make the best decisions all this but this is it you know this here's here's your life dude i, I mean i can, i guess i can relate in a certain sense in that like i've had to look at myself and my life a few times and just be like what the fuck do you love chaos for bro you know like yeah. there's just i don't know there's a i feel comfortable when things are gnarly you know like even yeah. yeah whether it's you know partying whether it's like the traveling that i do i never make any plans i never like i'm pur- <laughs> i'm like purposefully 
unorganized and like shit's chaotic and i just feel okay like even jujitsu like i just love going and fighting dudes every single day like it's just (laughs) for for whatever reason that's where you and i differ (laughs) (laughs) but it's there's like some there's some sort of i don't know like comfort in chaos and i i try to think about it more and more these days because i'm getting a bit older and i feel like i'm getting a little bit more shit a little bit more sensible a little older what are you how old are you 34 30 35 yeah, yeah, just almost 35. So but, old, man. It's almost over. Nah, yeah, see, dude, 30, <laughs> it's done. But, you know, like, I, I do wonder. I'm like, what is it about chaotic shit that kind of makes you feel comfortable? And I wonder whether it's there's part of it, whether it's, like, makes it okay to fail if the, de- if the deck's so stacked against Ooh. you, in a sense. Because it's like, yeah, well, fuck, of course, man. Like, I didn't have this. I didn't have that. Like, look at the shit that I was doing. Like, yeah, it makes sense. I don't know whether that's like a maybe a part of it too, you know, because it's like if yeah. everything went perfect and you fucked up and failed, then like, then Ooh. what? Yeah, you're getting deep now. We're gonna need a specialist in here for that to analyze that. <laughs> <laughs> but for sure, the for me, I I grew up, you know, riding motorcycles with my dad, uh, my older brother. Um, my dad's still like the greatest motorcyclist I've ever. That's so uh, sick. You know that I know. It's like when we would go ride and the mountains in Colorado or in uh, Missouri, wherever it's like, okay, here's the way we're supposed to go. You know, back then we're looking at maps, right? Uh, what's this little path that maybe is a trail that goes over there? Well, let, yeah, let's take that. And I, I, I feel like that that's almost like a metaphor yeah, for my yeah. life is I <laughs> yeah. always like, I, I will go deep. Like, no, I don't want the safe way back. I want to, I want to go find this off you know, off the map trail and, and experience that this real sort of wanderlust type, you know, um, you know, urge to, yeah. to be lost a little bit too, um, and just take the road less traveled. But some of those roads get pretty damn rocky. Not the easiest to path pass through you know what i mean yeah yeah but i mean it's like sort of rewarding too when you like make it out by the skin of your teeth sometimes well i don't know like sometimes the it's like you can only have the high can only be as high as it was low you know because it's like you need it's it's duality right it's like it's both a it's a scale and so like the lowest of low can it's what can like enable to have the highest of high i think yeah, well, so check this out. So Pete Fox, another buddy of ours, Hugo Gamboa, um, we did a trip to Thailand in like, I think it was 2001, maybe, something like that. Well, we are up in northern Thailand, flew into this airport, staying at this little place where like no Americans ever stayed. And we were going to be up there for a couple of days. We're kind of popping all around the country. And we're like, hey, whose mopeds are those? Yeah. Right? And so I talked Hugo into getting on these mopeds that these two guys like worked at the restaurant were like hey can we borrow your mopeds let's go so we're just off exploring right here here goes the emig you know trait in me that was passed down from my dad so we're out and the priest is like oh shit man the sun's going down like we need to get back and i do have a bit of a a a sixth sense about where i'm at like directions i'm like a human man Rand mcnally (laughs) yeah atlas but we're going back and it's like dude we're out of gas and so we're going on this road and i said hey i remember there being a little hut there and we literally pull in this place these people like it like dirt floor 
and there's like a 55 gallon drum and I'm like pointing to it and I'm like, is that gas? Like, is, is that gas? And then, you know, it, however you communicate, the guy's like, yeah, that's, that goes in there. Okay. You know, give some money out. And like, we wouldn't have made it back. And how did we, like, how we find this guy that just, I happen to remember, Hey, I remember yeah, seeing yeah. this drum yeah. sitting there. So then, and then we get back. Now we're trying to go back and there's two big ass longhorn bull things in the middle of the road. Yeah. And Hugo's, Hugo's not that experienced rider. He's like, I'm not riding past that thing. So I had to ride my bike back, you know, go like way on the side of the road around the thing and then get on it and ride it past him again. And then we got back like just before it's like practically dark and everyone's like, where the hell you guys been? And it's like, oh, you know what? You know where we've been? We've been on the most epic adventure. Yeah. We're the best stories ever. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's some interesting, you know, to me, that's some of the stuff in life that makes it really worth living. So. Yeah, dude. No, I, I completely agree. What, what was like a peak loose week for you like in like peak Emig 90s? Like what did that actually look like? Oh, I mean, for sure. Uh, go watch uh, Crusty Demons of Dirt, the second, yeah, second oh, edition. It. <laughs> There's a Lake Havasu edition where they all came to down to Lake Havasu. I had a I had a, a ski boat so we could wakeboard, and then I just built. I bought this old piece of shit pontoon boat, like a thirty by ten lower deck, twenty by ten upper deck, because the one with the water slide in it. Yeah, yeah. So I built yeah. that out. Spent few. Th- thousands of dollars building this thing out huge stereo you know the whole thing and that we had a weekend off or two weekends off after supercross or somewhere at the beginning of summer and i mean that was just it was on like that was i think we were down there for probably five days and yeah we that was that was a big weekend Uh, and what did the like nowadays you just can't get away with that I mean, even like we've talked about it on here before, but I remember when, when I first moved over there, maybe like 2011, 2012, like there were some dudes that were still partying. I mean, Hill had some pretty epic house parties. Hanson was pretty, pretty, uh, around and always, uh, a super good time. So, and like, so dudes were still kind of doing it, but I, I feel like nowadays it's just completely shut down. Like it's just no, like the, doesn't even seem like the guys really want to do it that much or it's big well, they either you have to make the choice yeah yeah and i think that at your time it's like how did you guys even get away away with it was it like culturally more acceptable or the teams didn't have as tight a there leash was no on smartphone you? yeah true. no i mean for sure the smartphone changed everything um you know they the teams and stuff they had to know what was going on but the difference is and and actually uh, Ralph Shaheen, my partner on World uh, Supercross Broadcast, um, brought up this this idea. He's like, "Look, he goes. The problem was is was is that back then it was pretty much a level playing field, mm. with the exception of like Kudrowski, Larocco, Albertine, somebody like that. You know, when we'd go down to Havasu, McGrath got his boat." Mm. and all the guys and everybody that that rolls with him i got mine you know phil lawrence maybe had a boat but you know but and and everybody was all sort of copacetic and you knew that if mcgrath was there or whoever else was there well then okay 
but but if for one reason they said no you know whatever your competitor was he's not here this weekend because he's training and all of a sudden you know it's sunday and you're still making it sunday fun day you know you're feeling like you're a little bit behind but i mean during those times i mean we'd have eight of the top 10 yeah 12 of the top 20 would be everybody'd be at copper canyon with this or at the sandbar or whatever and so you know that was the that was the era and you know there's 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 two parts of this is that you, you know there were a lot of times where even in lake havasu i'd wake up in the morning before i would get up and i'm up running and yeah. like paying the piper you know and it it's not you know the the recovery process through that isn't great you know it's it's not the right program but that's how we lived right now you couldn't do that these days there was actually a time period i i forget which year it was but when uh um um scott sepkovic uh had asked me to train jason lawrence yeah right and not a lot of people remember this but i i technically i trained him for about eight days <laughs> And he talked to me for three of them. Um, but I came in with, okay, this is where we're at now. I believe that Jason wanted me to say, hey, we can train just like it's 1997 again. Yeah. Jason, Hill, Hanny, a lot of these guys, that's what they wanted it to be. But the problem was it's not that anymore. Villapoto yeah. is literally in the hotel fitness center doing you know a recovery spin on sunday morning before he gets on his plane yeah you know he's not just coming in from being out out on the town like a lot of us were in the 90s yeah so you can't so if if you're telling me you want to be the best and you want to beat dungy and villapoto and canard whoever else it would would have been at that time here's what you got to do and I felt like that I, like, I felt like that I was going to be able to really uh, connect with him, but it it didn't take. I mean, it was less than a week before he kind of just like shut everything off. And I, I, I mean, I don't think that he wanted to hear what I was, mm. what where I was at to say, okay, this is what you're going to have to do to win now, you know. Yeah, Scott Sapovic so, just sent him a copy of Fresno Smooth and was like, you know, Jeff Emig. Yeah, this is easy, you know. <laughs> just limit the Jack and Cokes and you'll be all right. What but What were the three the days went. like that you were with him? Because so, for for context, so I've I've never met him like properly and hung out with him. But since I started the podcast, we've actually spoken a bit and he really seems like a fucking nice, cool guy. Yeah. Like underneath, totally. underneath, totally. he's, I'm yeah. sure that he's had a really, really fucking hectic life. And in that hectic life, I can really understand, uh, a lot of, you know, what's going on with him. Like I've got friends that are probably had mm -hmm. very similar lives to him, you know? Uh, yep. so yeah, I mean, I personally, and I say it, you know, say it all the time that I think we lost something pretty special in the sport. I mean, he lost i guess he kind of did it to himself in a in a bunch of ways too but i think that there's like uh, maybe i'll push back on that for a second because i mean 
I get the feeling that he was he was pushed out of the sport as much as he pushed himself out of the sport in a way because it's almost just like no one really wanted a bar of it. No one really cared to you know embrace it. I don't think anyone saw Jason Lawrence as this fantastic marketing opportunity to be well, and the even, villain of the sport. You know, well, but and he even was a brand so like Rockstar is like party like a rock star. You know, they had him on board. Monster was supporting all these sort of things. But there, especially during that time period, <clears throat> there really was um, a, a smaller box that they wanted to fit everybody into. And I watched I watched your show and heard your you know, heard your comments about him and stuff. Um, and and there is some truth to that. But that's also part of the deal like when I got fired from Kawasaki in 99, I made the decision right away to take responsibility for my own actions. Yeah. It sucked. Don't get me wrong. Definitely a low point in my life and my career. The worst thing was having to call my dad and tell him I just got fired. Well, what'd you get fired for? I got caught with some marijuana down in Lake Havasu. He like didn't even give a shit. And he was like, he was the most supporting father ever. He like, I'm on the phone with him. I'm super upset. He goes, well, <clears throat> we need to find you a new team and a better bike because you weren't happy riding that bike anyway. What a J. Like, no, 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 no. I, no I'm, I need Gary Emig, please. Can you please put Gary on the phone? <laughs> you know, and he was super supportive. And I mean, it, also, everything always revolved around the success in racing, mm. like even before school. Like, I always make the joke that my dad, if I didn't do good on the weekend, I couldn't go to school during the weekend yeah, and hang out with my yeah, friends. Where yeah, the other kids are like, if you, if you don't get good grades, you can't yeah. go to the race on the weekend. Yeah. You know, but I, I'm getting off here. But no, like, no, no, that's cool. You, you know, um, there was a, a, a real time period there where things were really getting structured. Agents had a lot of good money coming in. You've got Geico and Progressive and yeah. companies like that. You know, all the energy drink companies are experiencing a ton of uh, success. Um, you know, and and they're, you know, it, it's a bit counterintuitive. Dirt bike riders, we are at at heart to our core. We're really kind of rebels. Yeah, and the reason why you gravitate to the dirt bike, just like I was talking about with the guitar is to isolate everything else around you. Like get that out of the way. Cause I just want to be on this and I want to be in my own space in my own head. Yeah. And we're bit rebellious. And so when the business of supercross and motocross didn't want to accept the, the um, dysfunctionality of a guy like Jason Lawrence and Izzy and, and, and some of these guys, and they bring it upon themselves. You know, we all do. I did. I brought yeah. it upon myself. You know, it, it, it sucks that those two can't find a way to, to work yeah. to get to live in the same space. But like for me, it came down to taking responsibility for my actions. Here's the contract. I agree mm. to all of these behavior issues. You know, I'm going to be at uh, press events. I'm going to do this. I'm going to represent the company a certain way. This is a corporate Japanese company, you know, and then in turn, they're going to give me, you know, whatever it was at the time, 400,000 bucks a year. Yeah. That's the agreement that I made. They didn't break the agreement. I did. And so with these other athletes is, is we're agreeing to all of this, 
and, and you're going to pay us a bunch of money and you're going to support our racing with all, all all of this you know equipment and and everything and that and that's part of that's the terms of the agreement yeah and then you break those um and then you have you have an issue but then you know also you know with a lot of these athletes that came through the 2000s and early teens you know is they really wanted to be able to to have it both ways and right now the level of commitment that the athletes have to have i mean you know watch watch supercross right now is yeah it's any of these guys out till four in the morning after the race getting smashed like no you can't do that you ain't you ain't running with Tomac and Webb and Sexton and everybody. I could barely uh, pull off this podcast without fucking eight hours of sleep a night. So yeah, yeah. So it's a different generation, a different era. I mean, you know, the guys back in the '60s and '70s. I mean, they're smoking cigarettes on the line, you know, before GPS, and you know, you see these old pics and stuff. It was a different time. And now, what you have to do, you have to train and you have to be a professional athlete. That's how you succeed at this sport. In yeah. the 90s, yeah, you could have a little bit of rock star, a little bit of pro athlete. You know, you could mix the two, but not not in 2023. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel you. So when you, you got caught in Havasu with, like, was so that was by the cops or, like, so it wasn't like the yeah. team found out or something like that. What was, because that's what's fucking crazy to me right now is, like, California is the most it's like a stone well it was state, arizona you know? actually so it was on the arizona uh, side california okay, okay okay california it would have been like no big deal like that's hey, what i wanted way but arizona is zero tolerance yes and i mean you know not that it makes a difference but it's like you know you get caught with a tiny little bag of weed that's like about as big as the end of your thumb and you know that was 1999 where the internet had just really become a thing yeah. And so public records and all this somewhere, someone along the line saw the public arrest records and all this sort of stuff. And then it kind of it didn't take but a couple days for it to, to sort of circulate. Fuck, man, that's so hectic. I mean, like, I guess we'll preface this by saying there's a bunch of people that are in jail right now for that. And uh, well, in states that are legal. So, I mean, like, obviously, yeah, it's not the worst case scenario, but like it's, and you know, it. It's pretty fucked up. Well, it, to me, it doesn't come back to whether it was legal or not, you know, legalized in multiple states and accepted everywhere now. Um, it com- comes down to the contract and that I yeah. agreed to certain terms. Some years ago, uh, when Dave Despain had uh, the Dave Despain show on MAV TV, I did his show and he came straight out of the box with, hey, you know, you had this deal happen in 99, you know, now here in the state of California, even this is a substance that's legal. It's pretty accepted. It's really no big deal. You know, at the time it wasn't. And I appreciated that he sort of prefaced that and and sort of brought it forward where it's like, you know, it's not like I was in 99, I was off in some hotel room, you know, in the corner, (laughs) you know, it's like, you know, Hey. Some people would argue that it's less harmful than alcohol and all the, you know, well, so I, I don't want to get I'll into any you, of that. I'll have you know that science would argue <laughs> that it's less harmful than both. Hey, massive, massive proponent here. So you, you, to each, to each their own. I don't, I don't, I, I have no judgment either way. People do what. <laughs> 
do it, do whatever you want to do. But, you know, for me, when, when all that went down and, and it really, you know, forced me to take a look at, at my career and where I was going. And so at least for the last sort of three months uh, that I rode and raced as a professional, I feel like I really was in the best place of my entire career. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and that's like, we kind of said it before, you know, like obviously, yeah, like your career and life are, are one in the same for so, for the whole time, really. I mean, even, even for me, like my career and my life, I, I try and keep it as like separate as possible, but you can't, like, it's all you think about. It's like, you know, you, you there's a goal that you have or like a process that you're committed to and it's sort of all consuming. Uh, but you know that like you said that's a that's a beautiful thing as well but you know like at a point it does end especially in like the motocross side of things it's like your career ends and it's almost like okay so what lessons can you take out of this that just like lead you into the next 50 years that you've got to just be a good human yeah, yeah. well you try every day but sometimes you fail you know <laughs> yeah yeah so we started talking about Loretta's because you did it again at a (laughs) way back when that's where we started. Um, and how was that experience for you? Because I'm going to be suiting up at world vets this year. Obviously it's a bit different for me going to world vets to see you going to Loretta's, but as a, uh, an unfit and underprepared person, um, it's, it's become a bit of like a North star for me a little bit for the year, you know? So like, was it kind of one of those deals for you where, you were like, oh man, I'm going to do this and I'm going to train and I'm going to like take it for what it is. And what did it end up being what you wanted it to be? Yeah. And it, it kind of gets you into that mindset of being a racer again yeah. and doing a lot of the similar things. And, and you really, um, you know, you test yourself in a lot of ways and you, you know, to me, when I don't ride, I find that I'm really less structured and even this last week that I got back on the bike again, it's like everything, I'm just busy and everything's structured. Obviously it's good for business for, you know, because a lot of my business is is in the motorcycle industry and and it it really helps keep me connected um, to riding and uh, the mindset of of a rider and a racer. And we've got World Supercross starting up here in a few months. And so to be, uh, to have my head in the place of being the racer, as far as being an analyst, it helps with that. Um, but I just really enjoy it also. And people ask me, hey, you're gonna ride Mammoth this year, you're gonna do this race or that race. Yeah. Certain places I like and certain ones I don't. I, I love doing the race at, you know, you know, at, um, you know, at um, uh, Loretta's. Um, I'm actually, this year, I'm gonna do the qualifiers back in Texas, so when I get done here, I'm literally loading up and driving no 21 hours to Texas, yeah. Because my mechanic, BJ Burns, is back there. And it's like, I just want to get out of California. I want to go do do this somewhere else. Um, you know, just have a new experience. But but I love going down to uh, Loretta's Ranch for for the week. You know, it's, um, it's a long week. You're all excited. And then about halfway through, you're like, holy shit, I still got three more motos to go. Yeah. And then you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I love the experience. What the Coombs family... And their team, um, Tim Cotter and everyone involved, they're really, it's just such a, it's like Mecca for motocross. It really is like a pilgrimage yeah. to get there. And even, so I raced there at age 50, so two two summers ago. Dude, it's like 
not like the qualifying is super hard at this age, but you got to have your shit together. And then when yeah. you get there, I mean, the vet classes, we race shorter races, are only, I think, 15 minutes or something. But the Dude, track feels like 30 gnarly, minute bro. So much gnarlier than what people think. It's yeah. not like it even used to be, let's say, I raced as a veteran in 2002, so I was two years out of my, out of my pro career. Yeah. And the track has changed since then even. Like, it's really difficult. And it's really challenging, but that's also part of the appeal is that it's challenging. Yeah. And, um, you know, I love being down there with all the people, uh, all the fans. I mean, that's that's my group. I mean, I raced there in 1983. Yeah. And now I'm going to race there again, hopefully, in 2023. Dude, that's Dude, 40 years. That's 40 hectic, years. man. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's wild, man. I uh, I've never been. That's one race I've never been to. And I think uh, if all, if everything lines up, I'm gonna go this year just to like just drink some beers and just be a, a oh, yeah. complete super fan. Well, if I I'm gonna take it a little less serious. I was pretty serious last time. Yeah. Because I I was I was nervous because the last time that I had raced it was uh, 2006. So I did 02, 03, and 06. So it'd been a long time since I'd been back there. And yeah, there's pressure, you know, you, you don't, you can't go out there without just having some eyes on you. And it's yeah. like, you know, people aren't lining the fences to watch the plus 50 race, but last year or last time we raced Brown, of course, is just a staple. I mean, he's as fast as he's ever been. Rhino was racing. Keith Johnson ended up winning the 50, like, you know, and there's a lot of like you you know there's certain races that people are kind of getting hyped for yeah and all of a sudden it's like they're out there and um you know so you you don't want to embarrass yourself so there's that it's it's i would love to compartmentalize it and just say yes i'm just gonna go do this for me yeah but that thing is there yeah and i feel like i do a pretty good job with expectations and even ego like, hey, like, keep it all into perspective here, you know. Um, but it's still something that mentally you, you know, mentally you have to have to 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 get through. But then the people there, the fans and stuff are so awesome. And, yeah. you know, you roll up on your golf cart to watch, uh, you know, maybe you want to watch the 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 younger women say hey, there's some girl that's ripping. She's 12 years old and you're pulled up next to another people on a golf cart and the little kid's sitting there and he's got a snow cone running all down him. And the parents like, Holy shit, you're Jeff Emmy. Do what do you, you know, you're like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. This, I'm is, racer, this is us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're down at the Creek or whatever. And you know, in line, uh, up on top of stagecoach to get an ice cream cone in the afternoon. And it's hot. And you know, all these, friends are there that now their kids are racing you know so yeah I, I you know i didn't i don't know i guess we'll see if i'm there a few months from now that'd be great um when i did it at 50 and i did the documentary with verb and all that which was really cool by the way thanks thanks i appreciate it and it's like it's like well are you gonna do it again and i'm like i don't i don't know i guess we'll see you know and and so you always wonder like well when's the last one gonna be Dude, and last true. year I had no interest at all in 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 racing, you know, um, and now this year, just you know, a month or so ago, it's like, hey, I think I, I think I want to do this again. Dude, it's so. cool, man. And like, you never know when the last time you're going to do anything yep. is. And I think that if you can keep that in the forefront of your mind, 
just in day-to-day life then you're gonna live yeah. like a pretty pretty dope life you know like at some point it's like the last time you ever pick up your daughter like she's just gonna be too big one day to just like pick up and carry her yeah mine's 19 yeah she's like dad don't don't yeah it's like you know the ship sails on on some stuff that if you go like you kind of wish you could go back and do and loretta's just has to be one of those things yeah yeah i think though uh being being a father um i've i've done a really good job of looking forward to tomorrow yeah and i i I would i'm kind of generalizing this but i would say that most moms want yesterday yeah and most dads want tomorrow like like i remember when my daughter presley was born and the first time that you know they swaddle the baby up and you're holding her for the first time and walking her out to see the family members and taking her into the other room it's like i remember thinking wow i can't wait to see who you become like who who are you going to be when you're an adult yeah she's challenging that right now because she's 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 amazing and crazy and frustrating and beautiful all in one and you're like okay well this is this is who you are you know and she's super creative singer guitarist uh acting all of that sort of stuff and it's really fulfilling then my son held uh jagger he's probably an inch and a half two inches taller than me well wow. uh, wants to wants to follow soccer football as a as a path right now and just an amazing athlete and and uh you know there are times where it's super difficult and then there's other times where it's just really a blessing so yeah man no it, it must be cool that's so what do you think that the women want yesterday it's just a nostalgia thing yeah i, I don't know because they want to probably dependence right i don't know i mean i i mean like i said maybe i'm generalizing you know if, if there are any women that watch this and not many. chime in hit me <laughs> in <laughs> yeah yes you know chime in hit me up hit us up uh on the comments and let us know what you think about that if we're we're totally off base i don't i don't know it's probably uh it's probably like a weird not weird but like a natural dependence thing because i mean like even for my mom it's like i'm fucking i'm doing my own thing completely <laughs> like completely and you're and you grew up where i grew up in cairns like so way far north queensland like so north yeah. northeast you're a long ways from home yeah yeah and and i mean yeah she's like back in oz and i think i've lived i've lived away from her since i was pretty much 18 and you know like i've had the last five years back in in oz but i mean since i was a since i was 18 you know i just think like for mums especially they they still want to feel like they're needed all the time you know so that comment does actually make sense yeah yeah oh my daughter's 19 and she's we've been looking at places she wants out and it's scary shit dude i mean it's it's gnarly to think you know i mean i mean when i first was when i had to live on my own December of 85 they move out here out here to uh, Southern California for three months mm. and was living with family friends and they're like yeah we got a room for you to stay in great and I'll come out and race the Golden State Series was huge back then right well come out to stay and the room they had for me was a metal shed on the back patio that was converted into an apartment into a room yeah. I was 15 I had the maturity of a 12 year old i had the body of a 10 year old and my dad would fly out on the weekends for the races but during the week i'm making my breakfast getting myself to school doing everything myself and i was 15 but i was a very immature 15 year old and yet 
you know, now my daughter's 19 wanting to move out and I'm thinking, oh, you know, she's not, she can't do this. So I think we're really underestimating it. And, yeah. and you know, I, I am, you know, like you're just fearful of, of all the bad things that can happen, obviously. But at a certain point, you know, it's like, okay, you gotta, you gotta leave the nest and you gotta trust that you raise these kids the proper way. And then look at you here, you are now, you know, years later and you're living halfway across the world. Yeah. It's, uh, it's weird too, I guess, like just Western culture. I mean, obviously living in Dubai, you see a totally different culture. Like it's just a completely Muslim country and it's like the kids like, so I got a friend, uh, Belushi and he is like 30. How old is he? He's like maybe he's almost 40 but he's like one of the big desert races here and owns the track and stuff but like his parents still live with him his kids like that so the whole like leaving home at eight the way that we do it is actually strange like it feels normal to us but in so many other cultures and i mean like my partner she's um she's russian and like she she just like sends money to her mum constantly and it's like that's there's such a there's so many cultural differences that like what we take as normal isn't even really that normal yeah well i'm gonna i'm gonna flip the script on the kids when presley's uh, first album hits or jagger signs a pro contract to play (laughs) uh, football at manchester city which is his club by the way um yeah i'm gonna flip the switch i'm gonna uh, hey that apple pay could be going the other direction (laughs) right Right? oh dude that's so funny yeah i mean it's uh yeah it's a trip like i mean obviously we think it's we think it's pretty pretty standard like you leave home my my parents i think my mum left home at 15 completely like not for racing not for nothing like she just she just dipped out so it's like it is weird how we live our lives in comparison to some of the rest of the world hey and thinking about it it's like if they're still here at 29 now you got a issue and and from what i gather is that most of this generation that my daughter and my son would be you know maybe a little bit older than my daughter even they don't want to move out it's like the wi-fi is free here yeah and there's always yeah. milk in the fridge yeah yeah you know so maybe maybe i should be really thankful that 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 she's independent and wants to do her thing well i think that's probably the biggest thing like if someone's got the confidence at 19 to like think that they can take on the world like fuck man they probably do <laughs> you know like yeah that, yeah that, don't yeah that was don't me. don't try to yeah don't try to harness that for sure but i mean at the same token too like when i left the u.s uh I pretty much like just left with nothing and I had a couple cameras some microphones like that's literally why I started the podcast then I went back to my parents house and maybe I was like 29 or something like that and it was like the most 20 yeah I would have been like 29 it was the fucking lowest moment of my life felt like the biggest fucking loser like going oh like you're back. like hey I need to come back no I just yeah I did oh I got sent back like I didn't even have a fucking choice in the matter you know like here I was thinking I was the man still and then it was just like in one day I'm just like well you fucking live here now like borrowing a car like just literally hero to zero man but it's like <laughs> I don't know like now I even you know like I feel uh you know now living away it's like kind of lucky even to when i spend time with my family like it was kind of a fucked up way to look at it at the time but now it's like a blessing to spend time with your family it's just funny how culture works you know because that was a cultural thing like oh my god i'm a loser 
Yeah, it was like, hey, you guys, you're going to get a coffee. And they're like, hey, you heard Jace is back. <laughs> yeah, back for, in, for real, dude. Back in the basement. Like, yeah. damn. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fucking hero to zero. How, uh, hey, that that's one thing, though. Like, you follow um, any of the great businessmen, you know, that that the one, like, common thread to all of them is fail and fail often. Yeah, and Don't for sure. be afraid to flail, fail. Yeah. You know? that's a, And that's a hard concept to get through your head. You mm-hmm. know, don't be afraid to fail. You know, we're all so, sort of afraid. And so it's like, wait, what? Yeah. And, and so, but then, you know. No, it, you it is it is true, man. I mean, and it, I think like the, you can only be as successful it's like the highs and lows things, right? It's like you can only kind of be as successful as you're prepared to fail in a sense. You know, like yeah. you take you take small risks, you get small rewards. And I oh, think yeah. like not giving a fuck, like, I mean, obviously you care. You care about what people think or what people could say, but it's like not enough to sort of like stop you doing it, you know? And I think, yeah. uh, I think that, it, it would have probably been the same with you. I mean, at, at one point in your career, it's like you've literally got a like a speech impediment and then the next minute you're the announcer for Supercross. You know, it's like, yeah. there, I'm sure there's moments there where you're thinking that could be a fucking failure. Yeah, really, really fearful. I mean, when I was a kid, I, I stuttered a lot. And even as a pro racer, I look back and I see some of the interviews that I did were just so cringy. And I had my way of sort of bridge words, ums, you knows, things like that. Like I got caught on a word about 15 minutes ago, it, you know, right now. And these days I maybe have a little more, I'm a lot more conscious of the mechanics that it takes for me to speak properly. Yeah. And I'm really thankful that Arthur Joseph, who has been my, my vocal coach and my sort of guru, my leader that way, really helped me acknowledge that. Um, but you know, I often wonder if not being, not being able to, to get out what I wanted to say, then manifest itself once I earned a certain level of uh, success, racing and confidence, arrogance, ego, all these sort of things. So, okay, now I do have something to say, um, and then given the platform for it, like, because I always just was I envied guys like Rick Johnson or Bob so Hanna or somebody with it. oh dude they come in the room for the press conference or something and they're just owning it yeah yeah and I'm like afraid that I'm you know gonna get asked a question and I'm not even gonna be able to speak mm. and Fuck, then that would mean somewhere heavy, along dude. the line somewhere along the line that that changed um and I mean you know looking back on some of the stuff during the nineties, just, you know, some interviews I gave and stuff was just such a prick, like, <laughs> like such an asshole. Like who is that guy? You know? And I, yeah, certainly been moments that I'm not proud of embarrassed by even. Um, but I was always driven to be on the broadcast and certainly fearful as hell, like scared as can be. I mean, I remember when, uh, was thinking about the supercross position with uh with the broadcast 
at the end of uh, 05, going into 06, uh, they gave the job to Denny Stevenson. Yeah. Um, you know, dear, dear friend of mine, that position became available again. And so uh, they flew me up to uh, Chicago there and was going to do a voiceover test the next day. And I remember being on the plane and I'm sitting there looking out the window and it's nighttime. And I remember it kind of hit me like, what the hell am I doing? Like what? Like I'm being like literally fear just came over me like, holy shit. Not only like the stuttering issue, but then also you are now going to to expose your thoughts to everyone. That's yeah. your job is to analyze and think and tell people what you think, what's going through your head, you know, and that also was something that I was worried about, you know, like. Like, what if I say the wrong thing? You know, what if what I say isn't what everybody wants to hear and, and they don't like it and, and all these sort of things. And so, uh, but eventually I just had to, you know, face those fears and agree to do it. And the first race that I did was the U.S. Open of Supercross in 06. Did that race with Ralph uh, Shaheen. And then the rest was history, you know. Dude, that's yeah i mean there's there's a lot to it like i don't think yeah. the average person will never will never put their self out there on a level to be criticized by thousands of people tens of thousands of people millions of of people i mean it's a i don't know like it's definitely a weird thing i actually i don't think about it near as much as as maybe I should, I should at times but uh but I mean yeah that's that's like that's the reality of it you know so I mean there's that that's just one thing to kind of get over and then there's obviously all the rest of the work that goes into it once you've even like once you're even in that yeah. position yeah well and then you know your job is to analyze and pass judgment on yeah. very confident high ego individuals that work their ass off to do things right and then you're the old guy the old has been the washed up guy that's criticizing them for doing this or that you know or praising them if they do it right and it's a tough position and i remember it had been a few years that i was in that i was in supercross and i did pro motocross uh during the early part there uh also but um ken hudgens who was with Feld. Um, yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Back it all the way up th yep. through the, you know, Live Nation days and all this sort of stuff. And he was had a broadcast. And I rem and he's a very hard man, very, very critical. He would praise you when you, when you did a good job. But if you didn't, you, the entire team, like he'd let us know it. And I remember him telling me, he's like, Emig, I'm fucking tired of this shit, of you being on the fence. Yeah. Good, bad, yes, no, right, wrong. I don't give a shit. Stop being on the fence. You're the expert. Yeah. Tell it however you, whatever you say, I'm good with because you're the expert. Just don't be on the fence about this shit. Yeah. Make a call. Have some balls to say when somebody did something wrong and stand by it. Right. And it was like, okay, big moment. Now you really got to, okay. You know, and some of these guys are my friends at the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Guys that I'm friends with, you know, ride with whatever. Um, 
And so, man, it's you kind of okay. You gotta you gotta do this. And then, um, so that was a really pivotal point. And then also, um, our producer here in the U.S. is this guy, uh, Chris Bond, Bondo, Papa Bear, um, produces all the pro motocross, all uh, you know, Monster Energy Supercross events. Um, he he gave me this article out of like USA Today, and it was on Chris Collinsworth, the you know the NFL, yeah, uh, you know Hall of Fame, you know analyst. And basically, the gist of this article was Chris is like, you know, for years and years and years, I'm the analyst. He goes, and I'm kind of pulling my comments and to kind of protect the players because I thought, hey, you know, I want these guys to like me. Yeah. You know, or I want this sort of this this facade that there's some sort of friendship there that really isn't. He goes, and what I realized is, you know, I mean, he's quite a bit older, especially than the players. He's like these guys, they don't, they don't want to be friends with me. Like what, like what am I protecting? Like they don't, they don't give a shit. Like yeah. that, there's no, there is nothing to protect here. Yeah. I'm doing a disservice to myself, my team and the fans. If I don't just call this game, like I see it, yeah. he goes And once I, once I was able to do that, he goes, I became a much better analyst. And Bondo gave this to me, like, here's where you're at. And you need to make some decisions, mm. and it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but you know, once you say, "Okay, I'm going to call it like it is. I'm going to stand by it." And I remember Ralph just going, "Look, is what you're saying true or not? Like, if you're making something up, yeah, yeah. some sort of situation, yeah, that's bullshit. But if if you think it's true and you watch the film, and keep in mind, there's so many things that are judgment calls. This was good or not? Like what happened here? You know that you we all could disagree on, but you kind of just have to say, I'm the expert. Here's how I see it. This is this is what happened. Good, bad, great, whatever. You know what I mean? And it's tough to do sometimes, especially with the biggest ego, the biggest. I call them the bigger the bigger dogs. It's yeah. like the bigger the dog, the bigger the shit. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. a metaphor, yeah, you know. Yeah. But it's like they don't want to be criticized because they're the best guys in the world. And when you criticize the best guys, they don't like it. Yeah, I've had I've had run-ins with a lot of the top guys. Some guys they just didn't, they didn't want to talk to me anymore. Okay, well I got to do my job. You do yours, dude. You that know? that yeah, it must be a because hey. there's like a friendship there. You want to be liked. Yeah. And you can relate then, to him. Like, you, you were that guy at one point in time. Oh, right? I didn't like David Bailey. I love David Bailey now. David's like, I get it. And David's a different broadcaster than he, I am. He's so opinionated. He's probably the He guy. was like, <laughs> he was well, because, gnarly. God, it was so, it was like, McGrath does everything right. Everyone else sucks. Yeah. It's like, dude, I'm busting my ass. I'm trying to beat the guy here, you know. Yeah. Um, but now I see, like, I understand who David is. And like I said, we have a great friendship now, really. He's really kind of the same the off the mic, though. You know, he like so if, if you know, David. like if you know him away yeah. from the, he actually lived a street behind me when I first moved to America, which was fucking, oh wow, yeah, out of control, random, yeah, yeah, super random. Um, but yeah, so I like got to meet him and hang out with him and his whole family. Like they're such nice people, and it, it's yeah. like funny that when you spoke to him, you were like, oh, okay, like you're the same dude. That's the way you talk here is yeah. the way you talk on the broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's uh, that's a challenging part. But as, as far as the broadcast stuff goes, um, I feel like I honestly feel like my accomplishments and what I have done in broadcasting is to me 
a greater achievement than what I did racing. The fact that I do what I do with World Supercross now and, and my career is extended again in that way and the contributions that I get to um, give and be a part of with the broadcasting to me is is um, probably a better better accomplishment than the racing. What what about it is is better in in that respect? Well, I guess nobody knows except for me what it's what it's like to to live a life where you stutter and you have know, speech impediment and these sort of things and yeah. you know the hundreds if not thousands of moments that are just uncomfortable and things like that and then to be a part of uh, you know keep in mind the broadcast is a is a team effort it, you, you know yeah. it's not like it's just me out there talking I'm not trying to say that at all but singularly for me um, how I feel about uh, being in this you know in this uh, position and getting to be the voice of the sport voice of of the of the riders and the teams and and uh, deliver that it's just really uh, fulfilling for me there's yeah. probably a sense of responsibility also that's probably an important factor yeah i mean it, it's it's such a pivotal role to play in the sport too because i mean it's definitely what i the any responsibility that i feel with the position that i'm in is about the narrative you know it's like you mm -hmm. You get a, like one of the things that I love the most about doing what I do, and I wouldn't say that it's just motocross and supercross, like I obviously interview a ton of different people, but that's my biggest passion. That's my biggest love in life is like this sport and the culture and the community. And I just really believe that if you can have a positive influence on the narrative and if you can have, I guess, like impact the conversation and make make people you know like a cooper web podcast is a perfect example right the amount of messages i got from people that said fuck dude i'm pretty pissed off that you made me a cooper web fan <laughs> like yeah that, that comment i got so so many times for like weeks well, and then after you did that. your job then you uh, because you gave you gave the people that ability to um you opened that crack that crack that shell um, to where people got to know, you know, through watching the show of get to know Cooper on, you know, in a way that maybe they didn't before. You know, that's what's crazy about with the 90s when when Freeman and and Dana and everybody, yeah. Damien and everybody came out to film us riding dirt bikes. Then they came to my house in Woodcrest. We were riding Z50s and barbecuing, drinking beers one night. They came filmed it that started a whole z50 revolution yeah and then all of a sudden you know fox is doing the terra firma series moto triple x full power trip you know on and on and on is that people then you know what you saw in the racing you you got to see okay what's it like yeah. during the week for these yeah. guys what do they do normally what's what's this industry like and what's crazy right now is with social media is there's so much content that it's you like I remember some years ago five years ago going man there's so much content on these athletes but I don't feel yeah. like I yeah. know them any better yeah and the podcast shows like this and you do a fantastic job is you crack the seal on that and and athletes I believe feel you know comfortable enough with you to to you know lower their guard and be be the real person which is a lot different than a produced, you know, 
in, you know, Instagram video of them ripping laps at the test track. You know what I mean? Do you really get like, you don't really know the person there. You don't get that. And so this format, you know, is very comfortable and it's easy to talk this way. And so I think that that's why it's been so, so, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, successful. Yeah. And I think that, you know, to, well, thanks firstly. Um, but yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, that to me, there's like power in, in the narrative. And, you know, like I'd say to people all the time, like if you just, it's such an unnatural thing as well in our life in 2023 to just have no phone on the table, no distractions, <clears throat> no other noise. And you just oh, yeah. talk one-to-one with a person. Like it's such an unnatural experience, yeah. but if you do that with literally anybody, like I fucking guarantee that you would find it extremely hard to think that person was shit at the end of that. And I think that that yeah. comes across to the the listener too, you know, like if you've invested and that's why it's so long. It's like, we're doing it. Oh, we're, yeah, we're fucking going deep. I mean, we all have our moments. Don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> you know, but you know, it's like, uh, it, I think that that format, I guess, kind of like helps you really understand those people and to bring it back to the broadcasting side of things i think that if that's like my job and the responsibility that i feel in this i think what someone like you does for the sport is you just create nuance and you create context around the things that we're seeing that we might not see until they're connected to that voice and i think that Mm. it can make the sport seem not seem so impressive but it gets across the point of just how impressive this is just how intense that battle is just how focused they have to be just all of the the depth and the nuance that makes people fall in love with sport so i think you know for you to say that you feel a responsibility and that and that it's a proud accomplishment like it that, that makes sense to me because you're responsible for yeah for com- coloring in our picture of how amazing yeah. the sport is well thank you and that's it's it is there's a lot of responsibility for that and we've all watched you know whatever sport you like and there's certain broadcast teams when you're watching nfl or you know world football or something golf is a great example multiple, multiple games right and there'll be different broadcast teams and you may gravitate towards certain certain yeah. uh, you know uh, personalities and voices and how they cover the game it's like it's like when tony romo came into the nfl instantly i was like holy shit i love his style yeah he's constantly like just for the play goes off he goes oh shit it's gonna be a slant to the tight end like xyz this and insane, that and so huh? he tells you what to look for yeah that and what i related to that because i have always felt i from day one was very conscious of telling like giving the viewer here's what to look for and i even had frank wilson at fox sports compliment me on that before multiple times actually like what you do really good is when i'm watching the race back on a sunday morning right i'm in the office i'm watching the race back you're telling me hey last lap around this guy went through this line next lap watch what he's doing there because this is where he's going to make the pass and i may you know get on the comm and be like hey bondo i need to be on james stewart through that second set of whoops next time around make sure that you're on him right so you're constantly as the analyst you're analyzing what happened but you're also i think when you 
when an analyst does the best is they're they're directing the viewer where what to pay attention to what to watch yeah you know and i know that i love that about certain certain broadcasters and then there's certain personalities and whatnot certain voices and everything that you like too you know so um that's that's the responsibility and then you want to be entertaining going to be humorous you know you want to you know you're you're not curing cancer here you're not doing brain surgery we're just talking about yeah. dirt bike races so let's don't get too far ahead of ourselves but the people are there they either spent their money to to pay for the broadcast or they're watching it and they're spending three hours with you and so you know you fail sometimes but you want to make sure that you're trying to give them the best product that you can and educate the viewer on here's what supercross and motocross is you know yeah um also trying to for me i constantly try to get inside of the helmet and and uh not just the exterior stuff but inside here's here's what i think this rider's thinking which is a really tough thing to do you know you, because how do we really know but trying to put them on the bike and it's frustrating because th th there's some there's some parts of motocross i'm sure it's like they have a formula one moto gp whatever it's like you just i don't have the words yeah 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 you just can't explain it you know it's like the like the harley davidson thing if i have to explain you wouldn't understand yeah and it's like you do you, you you try to give the viewer as much as you can, but there's a certain part that unless your ass is on that seat, twist and throttle, you will never know what that's like. So you try to bring them as close as you can, but there's, but there's a limit to it. Yeah. Yeah, man. And dude, to do it all live and, and yeah, like you said, I mean, there's, there's the on, there's the on TV thing that we hear but then there's like a producer in your ear and then you've oh, got yeah. a button that goes direct to the producer and then you're trying to, you know, like you said, direct them. And it's like, it's a, well, it's that's a where, symphony that you're involved in. And but oh, yeah. all we hear is that end result. Well, and that's where probably a big part of what I would say my success where, where like Ralph Shaheen and I work together so good as a team is his experience. I mean, I remember the first couple races that we did and shit shit's hitting the fan inside the production truck. And every now and then it's like, here's the format. And it's like, you know, back in those days would have been Chris Bond. All right, everybody shut up, listen to Bondo. And I'm like freaking out like, oh, what's going on? And Ralph's like, you know, he's got his pin on. It's okay, Bondo. Just let me know what we're doing when we come back from the commercial. You can tell like it's chaos, like something. There's been a major technical difficulty or something. Yeah. And Ralph's just like, yeah, no problem. Boo -doo -doo. Okay. Hey, welcome back to what we're doing. And that gives me that that helps keep me calm. But the the and now I'm like I know what's up. Like I don't speak. Like I just get out of the way. I know when I'm gonna need to to uh, contribute something. But back in the early days, like oh shit what's going on you know you freaked out and now it's 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 not that way at all and that's probably like i said with ralph and i as a team you know we genuinely you know uh spend a lot of time with each other um you know we're on a constant text uh pete richards from fox sports the three of us are constantly talking sports so we're constantly like like in that you know, headspace in that headspace and when we get to the race that that sort of chemistry is so important you know and that's you know, now with World Supercross, you know, um, working with uh, Kristen Beat, where we did a little bit with the Arena Cross Championship a couple of years ago with her, and she came into the space, and it's like the three of us, we get along great, we we get each other's jokes, and we 
are now starting to um, develop, you know, a chemistry between us on air talent. And then, you know, in the future, we're going to we'll do six World Supercross events this year, hopefully develop that chemistry uh, with Nathan and everybody in the truck and in and, and all of the production side. To where well, Na- we start Nathan's to, to bring a G too. too, man, like Nathan, the so the head of broadcast for World Supercross for the people that are listening that don't know. So that dude's like one of the best. Pronounce his last name real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I so, think it's Prendergast. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know that. So he's calling Nathan. He's, yeah, he's gas. Yeah. So he. Uh, he's mental, though. He's mental. He's, he's like. He's very amazing. Driven. Yeah, he's yeah. he's oh, actually. Yeah. Met. I don't think they nailed it. Uh, with you know, obviously, it's only two two events. Um, I think that there's like, the, actually, there's so much they nailed. Uh, that I loved oh, yeah. more than a traditional broadcast, but I don't think that the whole package is nowhere near as good as it's going to be. Like seeing, yeah, know, yeah. knowing the level that that dude operates at with Australia and the V8 supercars and like everything that he's done, like he's royalty in Australia when it comes to that. So I guess I'm basing that comment based on what I know that I guess will be coming down well, the pipeline. Yeah, and people don't, they don't really understand that that this the contracts for this with the FIM and taking over the sanctioning for the world supercross and forming supercross global and all that didn't even happen until Christmas. Yeah. What what was it about nine months, 10 months before we did a race. And so to have to put all of that together um, and this whole thing and then have two races last year um, that are, you know, you know I mean? One of them's halfway across the world and, it, it, it's it's not easy and when when uh, you back up to what we did with uh, monster energy supercross here in america i joined that team in 2007 and we had a, you know a few different pit reporters along the way developed our chemistry and by the end of the you know my last year what i think would have been 2018 2016 yep. 17 18 i mean we were firing on all cylinders and the, the bosses from the network, they would come in and they'd say, hey, look, this group is very special. You In broadcast, you don't get a group that is mm. as tight as you guys are, whether it's the on-air talent, production, tape room, you know, uh, working with the you know you know with the promoter and the network and all the things that have to happen. It took, I mean, I started in 07, that was 18, so that was, that was 12 years that I did you know, we really probably started getting things together at year eight where yeah. it really, okay, everyone's pulling in the same direction. And I feel like the broadcast that we did with World Supercross last year, by the time we did the last night in Melbourne, that things had really, okay, we're figuring this out. Yeah. But it's only going to get better. I, you know, I agree. Uh, you're right, man. Like, it was an error. And, you know, there's a couple of errors that you go through where it's like the there's a voice of Supercross. I mean... Like Wygant has created that for outdoors. I just I think he's one of the best in the business, you know. And there's like an era where his voice is the voice of outdoors. And then you th- look at Paul Mallon in the U.S. Uh, in in Europe, and yeah, it's yeah. like one man band, and it's just well, he is the voice of that series. And like you and Ralph, you were responsible for, like you said, like a twelve year era. Like, I mean most of my years of being just like all in on supercross and like being at the races never missing a broad like that is that era yeah and um you know i've had the 
pleasure working with Paul, racing with him. He actually kicked my ass once in the motocross nations. On a one two five, I have to I'll acknowledge bet. that again. Yeah, uh, you know, work with Jason, still a dear friend. Do uh, different projects with him also. Um, it's it's interesting. I, you know, it's like Ralph with what he does with speed sport. He's like he's the big picture guy. You yeah. you real you talk to down. Ralph, real zoomed out. He knows everyone from Formula One to swamp buggies and everything in between. You know what I mean? And is friends with athletes, team owners, media people, real big picture guy, which I think is is where where when we were with Supercross here in America, that was the right position, right? And I mean, think about it. You remember back in those days when we had the March was the month of moto mayhem and the Saturday night Supercross party and all these sort of things. Like Ralph kind of came up with some of these terms. We were all working towards that direction, but like we were totally connected with Twitter, having tweets from Mario Andretti and Jeff Gordon and like whoever we were, you know, really was a big picture. Let's become a part of the, the, the yeah, mainstream yeah. motorsports platform and that's where we where we elevate it. and that's everybody working together like from promoter to network to producer to the entire team and just how how well you know uh, during the time period you know we had um, Aaron Bates as our pit reporter in the early days Jenny was the latter days we had uh, Caitlin Vinci and some different people at different times and 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 you know Juliana was doing social. Ricky would come in and do would sometimes be on track or he'd be in the booth. I mean, remember during that time period where Ricky and I were at each other so much yeah. that people thought that we didn't like each other. Yeah, yeah. They genuinely thought that. Now we are like that normally. He and I are like. Well, he's just we, that guy. He's that guy. He sometimes yeah. he tries to play like he's Mister Cool, but he dishes it out. Trust me. And yeah. then he, he's the victim. He plays the victim. You say one thing back to him, he's victimized. <laughs> oh, you know. And, and um, but oh, it was so much fun. Hey, the network Fox is like, hey, you guys gotta back it down. We need it to be a little more professional. You guys are getting out in the weeds here. Yeah. But Ralph would always sit in the middle. Ricky was on the left. I'm always on the right. And we and Ralph's just like at times he'd just back up and be like, oh man. And that's what our fans wanted. That's they, they love that sort of banter. The network guys, the professionalism side, yeah, maybe we got a little bit too loose at times. But man, you're watching the supercross race to have fun. Yeah. Right? And so that's what what our job is. You know, there's there's all these different facets to the broadcasting. And I think that where Ralph and Kristen and I have that ability we get on well and we're going to now be traveling the world together and we need to bring that sort of chemistry and anybody else that comes into booth or is on track and all that is bringing all of that information but also having fun with it and entertaining the viewer you know so i just i'm really looking forward to what the you know the next few years holds because now we're going to take it global yeah you know it's it's we're going to be in all these amazing places and and um you know that to me it's it's uh if i could do another 10 years like this i mean that was my goal with supercross motocross before oh i figure if i broadcast for 10 years that'd be amazing and it was it was way longer than that but um yeah if we do that we'll uh we'll we'll have accomplished our goals so i guess then like i guess i've like never really thought about it like this but 
maybe it was almost a blessing in disguise to have the supercross like the ama stuff come to an end with you and ralph because i mean obviously like like they say all good things do come to an end i mean i'm sure that was a you didn't know the world supercross was on the horizon then like i'm sure that was a pretty heavy time period yeah oh yeah how did because you, find, how did that you I, find out or like how did it go down well we knew that there was the potential that supercross w- was going to go to nbc and that there were some uh, negotiations going on and ralph and i you know we each sign our own contracts but but we do think of ourselves as a you know as a team and we like i said we love working together um we love hanging out and we you know we're gonna do this and get paid you know yeah, yeah. this is awesome um and then the longer that it went you're like okay we're good we're good i mean you, you know we're like a month away or close to a month i it's like no dude we're good trust me if it was you know if they were going to make a big change like they would have made a change by now yeah and i got a call from from you know the bosses at felt and they're like yeah we're going with nbc and 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 you're out but ralph's staying huh and it's like, oh, so what is it? You know, it sucked. And I know it's business. I, I still unclear why the change happened, but um, it was what it was. And the really difficult thing was I went to the first race at Anaheim and I parked over by the catch, valeted my car and I walked over and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm I'm going to go up to a suite, but I got to go get my passes and stuff. And I'm literally at uh. six six in the evening i'm walking through the pit party or not the pit parties but the parking lot parties and people are like bro what's up like dude what are you doing out here yeah yeah. because nobody nobody knows they expect they're gonna watch me on replay once they get home yeah and to also you know so one of my best friends in the world ricky carmichael takes a position respecting that hey that's his position he's like hey dude you're gonna come up to the booth i said nope it's you and Ralph now. You guys got to do your thing. I'm a spectator tonight. Um, and it, you know, yeah, it, it sucked because it's like, that's, that's what I do. That's, I want to be in that. I want to yeah. be in that and being a part of that broadcast and a part of how this story gets told. And literally the, the, the irony is, is I'm up in the massive Don Julio suite. It's literally right above the broadcast booth. So I'm like right there. You're yeah. seeing the same view that you basically the same view that you would have seen. Yeah. 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 So, but you know, it is what it is. And, um, they made the decisions and Ricky, Ricky has done a great job. He's, he's, he, he realized now you know, he, he used to do like eight races a year. And that first year he's like, Holy shit, dude, it's week after week after week. And, and so now, you know, in, in, in a great rhythm now, um, it, it 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 people don't understand too how difficult it is when you're switching out your play by play from different you know so they use like three different play by play things like that because that chemistry is so important you know and the the familiarity uh, that that the fans have with us and and when that changes sometimes the fans just don't like it I uh, I don't get the hate with Ricky. Like it just, I mean, I guess I just don't get fucking yeah. internet hate in general. I've had people hit me up and like tr- want to say something rude, like because they want to be supportive. Hey, man, we miss you yeah, being on the broadcast. Yeah. And they say, so I'm like, you know, he's one of my best friends. Like, yeah. and 
and he's doing a great job, but it's, it's, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a weird sort of juxtaposition that you're in. But one, one thing that was sort of a compass for me after that happened is once the news went out that it was going to be Ralph Ricky, uh, Will Christian and Daniel, um, I, I mean, I don't know, I got a few thousand minimum messages through social media and whatnot. And I, I, I hope I didn't leave anybody or not answer anybody, but I literally spent months answering each and every fan that took their time to actually reach out and get on social media and say, Hey man, we miss you being on the broadcast. You know, I hope you're on a different championship somewhere. I'd love to listen to, you know, what you bring to the show somewhere else, you know, things like that. And so that, that certainly, um, if it had been the opposite, like I'm getting like, bro, yeah, so stoked yeah. and on the broadcast, you suck. Which there are some of those. Yeah, yeah. You know that then it'd been like, all right, well, this just isn't for me, you know. But it, but it, but it has been that way, and it's been really cool. And even with the announcement with World Supercross, and our new broadcast partners and schedule and things like that that we announced, uh, what was it yesterday? Yeah. Um, boom! Once again, just a flood of of uh, support. And so, you know, when it comes back to the the actual. Uh, uh, the job of broadcasting and and the effort that I give, the time I put preparing, like, am I giving the fans a good product? Do they enjoy that? And it's like, for the most part, yes. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it just can't be, well, I mean, it's obviously not an easy job. Like, it's just, it would yeah. have to and be. And it's judgmental. You know? Well, I mean, yeah. I've already said there are certain games that I'll watch or not watch because I don't like the broadcast team. Yeah, and that's from someone that does broadcasting. Yeah, and if it's not your team, so I got two games to watch. Um, there's this broadcast team. Doc, my my team's not playing, so what am I? I may just watch some of them because I like the broadcast team better. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. It's, then it's like in the entertainment side yeah. of things. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, that's you know. Yeah, I uh, I I was just gonna say like I get, I just don't understand like what the actual criticism is with ricky though like because it seemed like i don't know whether he still does but i mean it definitely seemed like at the start he was getting like tons of of heat but like i just don't know that you could get like he's the fucking goat you know and it's like the the amount of like so and i think entertaining what like i think yeah and the freedom that they seem to have to just blast him it's like yeah wait what yeah, I just don't. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I don't, I, I don't, I've never I don't got, think it's warranted. And he's he's super knowledgeable and really passionate about it. He wouldn't be doing it for this long. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get it either. Yeah, yeah. No. So anyway, it's uh, yeah. That, just but that's blood. what it's so much fun. Like when when Ricky can just be Ricky. Yeah. It like like think about right now is uh supercross here in america has had james stewart on some races and james is not a professional polished sports broadcaster in the sense of if 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 you and i would both say okay this is sort of the what that is yeah if you wanted to sort of characterize it that way but he's james stewart and that's all he has to do is be james stewart yeah is awesome Ricky just needs to be Ricky, you know, and we've, we, we talked about that before, but also when you get into, into the position, they're much, there's a lot more to it also, you know, um, uh, you know, especially when you're representing everybody, but 
it's it's it you know it's not like it's not brain surgery but man it's really fulfilling and it's really fun but it's a tough job to do sometimes yeah you know yeah because you've got to represent all these different entities and especially when like i said like i've gone through periods where james tomac like they they wouldn't talk to me anymore because i said something they didn't like yeah and it's like well i still got to cover this guy i still got to analyze them or hey i really need to have a conversation with you but they don't but they don't they don't want that anymore and so that's that that part sucks because it, and, and I wish that I knew that when I was racing because yeah. taking back to David is I would have developed, I would have consciously developed a much better relationship with David to where that he would understand where I'm at. And yeah. then he, because he was my voice, but yet because he said some shit about me that I didn't like, you know, maybe I didn't reach out to him or befriend him in a way that I could have, that would have been advantageous for me. Huh? Yeah, I mean, that, we're we're so yeah. fragile as athletes. We're so fragile. We yeah. don't want to be. We don't want the whole world, the analyst, to go. Oh, this guy sucks. He did that wrong. Yeah, man, you know, that's a and that's and a, it's a delicate. That's a delicate balance though, because like I'm thinking about Sexton right now. So I mean, it, so full. Oh dis- yeah, you want to be that guy this year, bro? Full <laughs> disclosure. I I said as much as I'm a fan of Ricky, I'm a personally a fan of Ricky too. Like I would I would consider him my friend. Like we haven't hung out in a long time, but like if what push push comes to shove, I would say that dude is my fucking friend. I love that guy. I yep. said on here, I've said multiple times, I'm like, dude, I don't know about how much, how like hard he went on sexing. But hey, that's like a judgment, a judgment call where it's like fucking your Ricky Carmichael. So fair enough. But to me, I'm like, oh, that was that shit. Hurt it comes me. back to that. What I, what I was saying about just calling the spade, the yeah, spade, like yeah. calling it like you see it. You're the expert, right or wrong, good, bad, whatever. Yeah. And, and he's done it. He's if he doesn't, if, 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 if you criticize Sexton for, what was it? Six straight races or seven races that he crashed out of a podium or the lead or whatever. This is pretty major. Yeah. And as the writer, you know, that feeling, you don't want to beat that guy down, but as the analyst, you have to go, okay, here's what I'm thinking yeah. is what I said, right or wrong. Is it, is it what I believe? Am I making something up? or any of that but yeah that's when it gets really difficult when the athletes making mistakes and they're like shit the worst shit that could happen that weekend happened, happened to them yeah. and yeah. you get to be the asshole that calls them out for it globally and, worldwide and, and so the thing is is <laughs> is it's like it made me feel some type of way and that's probably good it didn't make me feel the way i wanted to feel but in terms of me being invested in that broadcast and me being like so focused in and and creating a feeling like he created a feeling it might not have been the best feeling i've ever had but he really did like pull me into the sport when he said that but i guess what made me think about that is so like you imagine chase going to ricky and be like hey man like dude i'm mentally just fucked right now (laughs) like i can't seem to like you you can't do that either so like Mm-mm. you know he's fucked if he doesn't fucked if he doesn't yeah and it's up to the athlete you know and and if if i was the or if chase was listening i'd say look look at look at how many races tomac gave away in the early part of his championships uh, worth premier dude. premier class 
and now look at him. So yes, it's not good. You don't want to do that. I, I was really critical of him because I had to be. If if Tomac was honest with himself now and you look back, you're like, oh, Emig was probably right on that. Mm. But he also has now corrected it, and it's like I'm blown away, like the level that he's at. And Chase is going to have to figure that out. I mean, nobody on the team, sports psychologist, you know, mom, dad, girlfriend, mechanic, trainer, you got to do it yourself. And But what's baffling as an analyst, and Ricky and I talk about this all the time, we're like, how are you that good and then make these mistakes? Like the one he made was coming across the start straight and he tucked the front wheel and endowed on flat ground. That, and you're like, that's amazing. Because I don't, because I don't, I, as, as a former racer, yeah. I'm like, what just happened there? And then when you're on TV, you're the analyst. Okay, Ricky, uh, let's watch that replay and explain this to guys, you. I don't fucking know. Uh, I don't know. And Chase yeah. is probably going, I don't know. Yeah. Dude, I mean, there's a big part of me that thinks that Chase's woes are to do with a Honda CRF 450. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm not going. I'm not talking shit about brands. I already have. I already pissed people off. Uh, in my, I mean, in my broadcasting career. I've already had people. Uh, so hey, I buy but my bikes. Hey, do have I buy my bikes? So fucking. I ain't never Me seen too. it. I haven't ever seen I've shit. My last you know? bike. But yeah, I mean, because you're right. Like he's so. Because the thing is, the the thing that makes me like the one after the finish line before the right hander across the start straight. That's just again gone. And then the start straight across the start straight gone. Like there's a the through the whoops black gone. Like there's a level of and this is my extremely limited motorcycle racer knowledge here. All right, fully acknowledge that. But like there's a level of this game that is basically all down to predictions. So it's like you go as fast as you predict you can go in a sense. Like you have a certain like for me. I'm going as fast as I'm hitting a corner with bumps in it as fast as I predict that my motorcycle will stay underneath me. Yeah. So th there's like a misalignment of Chase Sexton's predictions of what the bike is going to do and then the reality of of what the bike does. And I can you imagine like let's say that's true then like just to humor the fucking idea that I'm running with here. Let's just say that I'm that I'm right there like these crashes would be coming out of nowhere. Like, what's to say he doesn't have way more in the tank? Like, I think people automatically label him as like, he's crashing because he's going so fucking fast. He doesn't need to get... What's to say he can't go way faster than well, what he's going? So, they, so the, then the question becomes, was it a mental mistake on his side? Did he make a little, like a mental mistake? Or is he pushing the limits of what the machine could do? Right, I, I think and he's the problem the, is, is that if it's Formula One, MotoGP, where the surface is, is consistent. consistent, right? With like you can see those those fine lines, but with us, the surface is always changing, and it's always so it's more of a feeling. Yeah, and you're feeling like okay, I'm feeling like I got this last lap or the the other twelve laps I went through here, I felt great, and now I go through here and I didn't. Yeah. So that's one of the the things that makes Supercross and dirt bike racing and all that so much different than everything else is the is the track is alive, it's moving, it's not consistent, you know. So only Chase knows if it's is that a mistake that I made, or or did I push limits of the bike? 
you know? Yeah. And he's he's one of those riders, too, that's so graceful and perfect on the bike, perfect body positioning, technique, all that. He makes it look so easy until it doesn't, you know? Yep. But, and and maybe that's with him, is he just needs to figure out where 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 those limits are. But, you know, like, remember a couple of years ago, I think it was, he was leading a race, maybe his rookie season in the premier class, and he, he was he went over the bars. Like I was thinking, step on, step on. literally just like, thinking about this crash, like what, bro. I was like just, just about happened? to bring it up. Yeah. You know? And so that is his like... His front was, wheel, like, buckled and folded yeah. there. And you so, know? you know... But it's, so uh, like, so we've just, I guess this proves the point then. Like we've probably spent five minutes talking about this. Ricky had a couple seconds live. He had 10, 15 to, seconds to, to see react. what happened. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, I'd be so interested to know with, with that. And I mean, cool that he's going to KTM and it's like we actually, we get to see what, uh, we get to see if it actually is a bike related like if he keeps doing these things on a completely wait, different wait, when bike, has this been announced i don't think it has been announced I'm not. this is just me saying. oh because i'm like i'm i'm not completely in the loop on that stuff i'd kind <laughs> well, of do pre- my own thing i'm, I'm not sure. i'm not the big predictor guy that's like hey anybody know what's happening i said just when it happens let me know well i'm pretty sure so i'm not that guy i don't know for sure either so i should actually preface that uh but yeah like let's just say he does go to ktm then it's like if 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 this keeps if this keeps happening on a KTM, then I guess we get our pretty clear answer. But if it doesn't, then but yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess all that was just to say like how hard it would be in the moment to analyze that. And I was like, oh man, like way too hard on him. But it's like you get X amount of seconds to comment. And like I said, yeah. if it, it, I was fully <clears throat> invested in in that part of the broadcast, you know. Yeah, it's it's been exciting uh, watching. I mean, that's it, it, it's um, that's one thing that I really love about being the analyst on Supercross uh, is is for the most part, especially lately, it's not very predictable. Once no. once Ricky was done, you know, James had a, a ton of success, but Chad Reed had a ton of success. And now it's not super predictable. I mean, Tomac's made a mess of it sometimes, but like what happened last week with Barsha winning, I mean, that's, that's, you just don't know what the outcome is going to be. Where, where are you at personally with the Triple Crown format, the three race format like we do in World Supercross? Oh, man, I go back and forwards with it, eh? One thing that I do like is I do I'm kind of done with, <laughs> I go back and forth. I'm kind of done with heat races and LCQs. Like I just doesn't seem like there's that much to play for when it comes to the heat races, especially with the four fifties. So I think that just seeing straight racing is better for me. Like I just, I want to see the best guys on the track at the, at the <coughs> same time. And I think that that's, what's great about the, the world supercross format. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time like you said i think we kind of like wanted to go to triple crown format because we didn't we had like james and ricky and you know like we kind of we were getting to the point where it was a two horse race at at times you know so it was like what can we do to switch this shit up but now i mean like barsha and roxon 
this year at was it Indy? It's like that's one of the fucking best races ever. Like this weekend was amazing. Like it seems like every single race this year has just been absolute insanity. So it's like I think the format I love the triple crowns, but then when you've got this many guys that can win as well and you don't have that predictability, I just think the gnarliness of seeing the best dudes for 20 minutes just going absolutely like it's psycho. Well, the, there's, the, there's the, the benefit too, to the know? traditional. Yeah, but the traditional thing is the gate drops, checkered flag, guy takes checkered flag wins. Yeah. Triple crown, it's, it's much more difficult whether you're at live event or broadcast to keep the viewers yeah up to speed on event points and yeah. like well i just watched this guy win but he's not the winner yeah. you know what i mean like that that type of thing but and so that adds an extra layer of um of work that we have to do like i said for the live event inside of the stadiums um with um the the event broad you know the event announcers you know big screen type stuff really helping the fans understand what's going on yeah and then giving them great racing and they watch and they're seeing what's happening and then with broadcast is us having event points positions you know really helping educate the viewer at home and so that's i think you're going to see like with us with with world supercross we're going to have a big a big step forward with that this year um and that'll make our jobs easier um um, but on pure racing uh, excitement, having three gate drops for each class each night is main of, in main event racing is pretty is pretty cool. You know. Yeah, I think that the the World Supercross just kind of like fills some voids for me um, in in just Supercross in general. You know, like I think that it's the same riders every weekend in the main event, no matter what like the team the team format you just you don't have to qualify there's no like private like that is rad and i'm i'm glad that's in the ama and i don't i wouldn't want that to go away but i also think that there's some utility in the way that world supercross has their format so like my my um girlfriend like so she's this year she's started watching formula one right and she doesn't have to remember 50 guys that are like trying to qualify or you know it's not changing all the time there's no qualifying races this guy's out this guy's in this guy's whatever she just there's 20 dudes on the on the grid of f1 they all drive for certain teams so she knows the teams and she knows the drivers that are on that team and for a mass market mass appeal I think that's quite a beautiful thing. And then to just know that that's the circus that you're following around the world each and every week. I really do think that there's some utility in that from a fan's perspective. Yeah, and and as she learns that more, she'll realize that, you know, whatever team it is, they're a 10th place team. But if they get an eighth, that's like a win. That's a big deal. Yeah, that's a big deal. And I I think that, that that was when I started broadcasting helping the viewer understand that um i always use adam intignap as my example great guy deuce, really deuce, love calling race where yeah deuce deuce seven deuce deuce is that you know let's say that uh, just uh, uh, don't take this wrong Adam. but like if he qualified 22nd he was fourth in the lcq he just gets in yeah there's a pretty good battle to get in but so 
He's the 22nd best guy yeah, in the yeah. world at this. Yeah. But if he gets a 15th or a 12th or whatever, he may have just had a career best. Career best, yeah. If Tomac gets 12th, it was a bad night. Yeah. So how does the viewer at home, whether it's F1 or what we do with Supercross, how, how do you... How, how do you let the viewer know that and give them the acknowledgement that they should get? Well, here lately, like what like what we did here in America with the Supercross Research Department and having um, a data-driven person giving you that stuff real time now made Ralph and I infinitely more yeah. educated and wiser. And then we, in the turn, as a team, you you then give that to the viewer. Right. But, you know, being able to understand that if this F1 team gets an eighth instead of a 12th, man, they just crushed it. They're high fiving. Well, they high fiving. They got eighth. Yeah. Well, for them, that's a win. And and, you know, it's the same in World Supercross. It's going to be certain athletes that if they get a top 10 or a top five or a, a podium is going to be, a, you know, a big night. And so our job is to make sure that people realize that, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the other thing as well is you, you just nailed it before is that on the night so i was obviously at melbourne that's my home i guess home home event and it's so much better for the crowd i think to just see the same guys going at it it's non-stop racing um so i think from like a crowd perspective that that format that the world supercross has is is pretty pretty amazing and there's also something to be said for um you, you get it a little bit in in the states with like a home race but nothing's the same like everybody can relate to an australian doing well at melbourne so yeah. the, the perfect example from that night was aaron tanny maybe yeah. the best race of his entire yeah. career like he was phenomenal man he was mm -hmm. phenomenal on the 450 uh for the australian supercross because they they had both champ that was what Friday, was cool Friday as well night, yeah. is having yeah. both uh, championships there. But I mean, you know, you just got to see an Australian crowd. They didn't give a fuck what team he raced for. They didn't give a fuck about anything yeah. other than like, oh, that's my guy in my hometown. And I think that that brings a level of atmosphere to any sporting event. Like the biggest sporting events in yeah. the planet are international sporting events. Yeah, I mean, and they're and we're gonna we're gonna have that with Anstey when we go to England for the first round. Yep. Um, and 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 the different countries. I don't know if we have anybody from Singapore. Probably racing. Not. Probably <laughs> not. But you know, also the one thing about about the World Supercross Championship is, um, you know, it, it it in the in the press conferences that we had in Melbourne last year, Tony Cochran, who was the former president of uh, Supercross Global. Um, he made mention like, you know, in for the endemic, you know, manufacturers and people in the industry um, that sell products and everything. Um, North America is what, 30 percent of off-road motorcycle sales. Yeah. You're like, wow, super important. 30 percent are concentrated right here in North America. He goes, well, that that leaves 70 percent throughout the rest of the world. Yeah. And that's the, that's where where. Supercross Global and World Supercross take what's happened here in America and let's take this to the world. And I think it's yeah. a little bit misunderstood, but that 
that you know if you think about what world football teams do in the summertime they do the international champions cup and yep. manchester city and barcelona and my team liverpool and whoever they all go play friendlies around the world to spread you know the game. it's they are like ministers of the of the game yeah. right they're spreading yeah. spreading yeah. the gospel of that sport um and nfl does games in england you know what i mean nba has got games in china and you know so trying to take this game um to 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 different places because there's something about the magic of the live sporting event for sure why not just race every supercross in marvel stadium and we'll just broadcast it to the world yeah right boom it'd be easy it's inside the stadium well there's something about what it's like to be a fan and go to a live sporting event i went two two weekends ago I went to LA Galaxy, LAFC, right? That's our hometown rivalry here, the Derby. I'm a Galaxy fan. FC is the champions this year. Trust me, my buddies let me know it. Um, but going to, this is the rivalry in LA with MLS soccer. Like it's on. And that live event is like, like nothing else. And so now with Supercross Global, we're gonna take that around the world and you know, where it's in such a, such an infancy of what it will be in five years or ten years from now, um, and I I'm really thankful to be there in my position and to uh, have the ability to help spread Supercross throughout the world. I mean, you know, you go to England, you go to Australia. Yes, we've we've you know we've raced there before, right? But when we really when we when if there's a race in Dubai, I mean you're bringing in a whole new fan group that not only is it on TV and broadcast to the world, but then you're having this live event and there's something about seeing it live that is so different, especially with Supercross, you know? And um, I, I just can't wait to to get to experience that, you know, and experience all these different places in the, you know, in the world. It should be pretty awesome. Yeah, and dude, like, you're so right. I mean, I had this... Um I've been lucky enough to travel a lot with with bikes. It's one of the favorite things that that I do. And we were in Vietnam and we were riding these Chinese like Harley replicas basically from <laughs> from the north of Vietnam to the south of Vietnam. And so we're going up this hill and the, there's this like dirt poor dude. It's crazy crazy oh, yeah. poor place. And the these people built like huts and uh, like a little village but on the side of the freeway and like it's like a mountain range kind of highway and then they've like built their houses off the side and there's all these scooters parked along like the guardrail where if you go over there's the houses and so there's these young kids that they heard bikes coming up the hill and they've you could see them like running up the side of the road and we're like kind of cruising along and then you we got past them and there was a Repsol Honda. There was a Movistar Yamaha. There was a... J- <laughs> right. And it was like the MotoGP, like, start grid replica. And these kids, just, they would have been teenage, teenage boys. Just frothing, dude. And so they have no helmets, <laughs> no shoes, nothing. They've jumped two up each on the, on the back of their scooters. And they're like fully like hanging off the side of the bike, Marquez style, like trying to scrape. And they, you could, that's MotoGP. 
like they're, they're the poorest well, of the poor and you know they have that that uh connection to the sport and they there's that aspirational uh, like level of the elite guys doing something that's relatable to them because they ride a motorcycle and it's like well, you're gonna you're gonna go through there 10 years from now and somewhere in there they're gonna have a something that resembles a pump track but they're gonna be calling it supercross 100 they're gonna have man. some yeah. scooter with ken roxon number one championship plate graphics or whoever the champion yep. will be you know at that time and so yeah, that's where see, the real opportunity like is in, in bali it's the same in bali like there's dude with trail bikes that have already got like the monster stickers and the red bull and so it's like i just i think that i think that people uh maybe they just haven't had those experiences of like traveling to those places and seeing just what a motorcycle fan is you know like it's not just temecula it's not just florida it's yeah there's a there is a global fan base for two-wheeled sport and i mean supercross is maybe the most exciting one like every moto gp dude i know loves motocross all the formula one boys every downhill yep. mountain bike world champion loves this shit so it's like for us to like you said go and spread that message i mean it's there's such an upside to it yeah, there's certainly a level of respect among the other athletes, um, you, you know, definitely. I was thinking about it when I was driving down here is when in the early days when, you know, motocross came over from Europe in the late 60s, Edison Dye brought over the Husqvarna's in 66, 68. We had a championship, racing championships, Trans AMAs and stuff, 71, 72 you know, supercrosses began just right up the road from here, about an hour from where I'm at, LA Coliseum. And in the 80s is when supercross kind of started, okay, this is something different than motocross. It's not the Super Bowl of motocross, it's supercross. And then the riders before me, like Rick Johnson, Ward, Glover, you know, they start going to the race in Paris. They did races in Osaka, yeah, Tokyo, you know, all Barcelona, we did little, I mean, little velodromes in Madrid, supercrosses in Stockholm, Sweden. And during that late 80s, 90s, we went all over the world. At the end of the racing season, we went global. Mm. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Because the manufacturers, teams, sponsors, whoever, have now contracted their athletes to stay here and only race in America. Like Ricky raced very little outside of America except for motocross the nations. You know, hardly, hardly at all. But in our, when we, when out, my generation, what we contributed, um, you know, and we just happened to be at the right place at the right time, but we went global all over the place to race. All that has stopped with Supercross. So you don't see, you, you know, haven't, in the past decade or so you don't see the very best supercross riders anywhere except right here probably by design with the race teams and all this sort of stuff and they've got their business and their interests but what you're going to see over the next let's say three to five years is as the rider contracts start to shuffle through mm -hmm. some riders up for his his contracts up and his agents going hey this guy wants to race world supercross then the dance begins there how does all this shake down? It's a, it's a massive transition for 
the business of Supercross to take riders that only race in North America and now they want to race here and around the world. Yeah. So if you're, you, you talked about Honda, if you're Honda, your budgets for North America are to keep Chase Sexton in North America and sell motorcycles in North America, right? That's the business. Well, now up pops Supercross Global and the FIM World Supercross Championship and this new opportunity. Oh, shit. How do the budgets come from Japan, from Honda in Japan? Now, wait, we're going to take some of this North America budget and we're going to give it to, you know, Yareev or somebody that now is uh, equity stake ownership Honda team in World Supercross. Well, Honda North America doesn't want that to happen. Right. They're not. Oh, yeah. Give up that budget. So, see, there's all these things behind the scenes that have to transition. But and then what we're also going to see is there will be a split between riders that want to specialize in Supercross. And it'll give them an opportunity, um, depending on how the championship series, um, you know, the, the championship schedules. I mean, how they sort through some may like you know i love riding pro motocross myself love it okay but there are other guys that say i want to i want to race supercross all year and and i want to specialize in that just like stefan everts and hurlings and Cairoli, they they all had the opportunity to come race in america here they didn't they didn't, didn't want to ride supercross they love riding motocross so you're seeing the fracture there and that's great because as the sport grows there will trust me there will be more riders to fill the spots to backfill if this rider goes here that rider goes there there will be riders that step up there will be opportunities and there'll be great racing just like there is in MotoGP here in North America and World Supercross you know but you're going to the big thing is is what we're going to do with World Supercross is we're going to take this sport global and we 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 really haven't even started the first scratch on the surface yeah you know we're just getting started and I think it's going to be pretty cool. One thing that I know is 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 I really believe in the leadership team, Adam and Ryan, Adam Bailey, Ryan Sanderson, and everyone involved with their group is they love the sport of Supercross. And this opportunity came about for them to acquire the sanctioning from the FIM, and they're going for it. And it's really, you know, when I first heard the news on, like, Instagram, right, Adam put something out, and I said – Hey man, congrats on you know this new opportunity. If you're looking for a analyst, I'm your guy. You know? Yeah, yeah. And now, and now here we are. So yeah, I I think you're you're super right about the whole thing. It's uh, it's been strange for me. Maybe it's strange because I know. See, the that's guys. gonna be a clip right there that I'm gonna save and I'm gonna send to both my kids. See, yeah, I think you're super right. I'm just gonna send it to him every time. <laughs> just make, yeah make it the gift that you just always yeah yeah that's right but yeah i mean for me it was very surprising to see how much like doubt and fucking hate and how weird shit got online i guess that's just 2020 2020s you know but yeah to me i'm like all right yeah right now you're not gonna get the best guys because they're locked into contracts but their contracts end and guys get older and guys normally retire too soon from the sport when there's still like a lot of time left in their career <laughs> and guys love to travel you know Bash is married to a lovely lady from europe like 
people in Europe travel a lot. (laughs) So you've, you know, you've got guys that have these, you know, families like Ken Roxon's German, like there's, so like Supercross is fairly international. The world's a very, very big place. And it's really fun to travel to all these amazing places in this, in the world, you know? So it's like, I do think once some some guys want to do it and some don't, you know? and hey but the opportunity is going to be there now yeah there should be the opportunity to be whatever guy that that you want to be like i saw coop at barcelona f1 you know like he's he loves to travel like he'd been to he'd done the australian rounds like the the years before that i mean these guys wanted jason anderson love doing australia new zealand like there's guys where it's so fulfilling for them to go and race and expose themselves to to new fans to not not even to their new fans like to existing fans i mean nicoletti when he was on the podcast yeah yeah nicoletti was talking about how amazing it was to be in the uk and oz last year and he's like i just didn't know i had so many fans all over the world so it's like there's it's such a cool positive uh thing for the sport and yeah you're right i think that you'll see jason anderson he just did a two-year deal with cowie i'm pretty sure like i don't know if that's like i said i stay out of that stay out of that stuff but also everybody has to travel and everybody has to do the same thing so you can look at it it's much different for the teams much different for the teams you know there's no 18 wheeler at each race with the race truck and all that yeah but your whole program changes but it changes for everyone yeah right and you look, I, I, you know, back in the days, like Jeff Stanton retired at 26, Carmichael was 27, Villapoto, he was like, he called it early. Dunge. Guys like Kevin Windham and Chad Reed, they showed that really, if you if you do want to just ride Supercross only, for some reason it's it's a little less taxing on the on the riders and those guys are really gifted they make it look really easy they probably don't have to put as much effort into it as some people do but a guy like marvin muscan i would think he could extend his his career and his earning potential by being involved with with world supercross um you know greatly and and so we're gonna we're gonna see how that materializes for these athletes and then for the companies that jump on board with this that you know if they're wanting to take their brand global let's say that it's like an endemic right a motorcycle related product or the opportunity now for global brands wow we really like that supercross thing it's concentrated really just in north america even though these athletes are global now we can take these events elsewhere and so it'd be it'd be interesting to see how the business of supercross evolves with with this championship yeah, well, I think uh, we had Peter added and did the podcast actually, but he, he only ended up doing an hour and then he had to go to like a super girl. Like it just got cut shorter than we, we thought. So we, we never actually put it out. But it was it was right after Melbourne. Um, and he was saying that, as a sponsor like boost used to sponsor supercross in the u.s a bunch like that you know it was with chad mm-hmm. and yamaha troy yeah, yeah. but he said you get to a point as a global brand where you're in so many countries that you can't sink as much money into a sport or sponsorships that don't kind of hit all of your markets 
and it it does make sense and you know when you are like okay all right so we're a brand that's in this country we're in this country we're in this country we're in this country i think they just announced the broadcast deal for world supercross yesterday and it's like i don't know how many countries is it going into it's like it's 180 something and yeah yeah so it's it's like and getting with the right partners and and having the right um you know uh the the networks being uh, committed to you know air times and promotion and all that sort of things are are really important also not just hey it's on this network well you know if, if they really back it and if if you think about you know with the admiration that other athletes have for supercross mm. and if you're you know let's say you're an f1 driver or you know in that industry and you want to watch the race but wherever you're at it's not it you know it's not on well, nowadays you also have the ability for the digital stream that you can pay for and still get what you what you want. And so it's really been never been a better time um, to, to be able to watch sports like this. What's going to be different for us being here in America? Well, I'll be at the event, but for the American fans is is now you've got into the global uh, yeah. time time deal yeah yeah right like i was thinking about when we were doing this you're in dubai i'm like hold on wait how you know how far ahead is it? oh shit it's 10 hours ahead so i gotta be conscious of that when we're trying to schedule this yeah it, it, of the of the times and yeah you may you may end up watching supercross at three in the morning somewhere or wherever but that's part of it yeah. but it's also part of like hey did you guys get up early for the f1 final 100 you know, in the morning it's on or whatever and it just becomes part of the character of of that championship yeah yeah no i completely agree and dude coming from australia i mean americans are so spoiled for supercross it's crazy like you get to go to all the races there's five in california like growing up for me in australia it was either you would get it on the like the bar to bar dvd at the end of the season or you would find somebody that had ESPN at their house and then you'd get up crazy early Saturday morning and you'd ride your BMX bike to like one of your mates that had ESPN. So it's like, it was honestly part of the adventure of, of like trying to be a sports fan. And it's the same for, I mean, that's actually one of the better things about living in Dubai is being in the right time zone. I haven't missed an F1 or a MotoGP or anything this, <laughs> this whole year, which has been sick. But um, yeah, I mean, that I guess that's just part of being a, a international fan too, you know, like there's just so many yeah. people where that becomes, I guess, like a part of the culture of, of following uh, an international oh, yeah. sport. And there's a certain flavor to that too. Yeah. I mean, I follow English uh, Premier League. Like I said, Liverpool's my team. Unfortunately, it's been kind of a shit year and my son's team is Manchester City. So he, he lets me know it uh, a lot of the time, but I love waking up on a Saturday or Sunday morning, first thing and like crack my eyes open, check the score. Okay, when's my game on? Yeah. Just like with the NFL, it's like, you know, like here in America, like in California, 10 a.m., boom, first game's on. You know exactly when the games are on. You know, schedule your time around that and you just make it work and it becomes part of, of the, the, you know, the fabric that is the sport, you know? What's, uh, so what do you think that, that the guys got right last year that maybe people wouldn't expect or wouldn't see or come across on a broadcast with just with with world supercross yeah yeah the execution of the event 
and trying to time with the DJs and the music um, execution of the of the live event. I mean, because there's two separate things happening. There's a live event, and then there's a broadcast team trying to cover the live event. And then all those things have to work in, you know, a coordination with each other. Uh, the promotion seemed to be really good considering everything was so late and, and just not enough lead time. Um, but we had fantastic crowds at each night of, of uh, racing. And uh, I don't underestimate what it takes to run an event like that, even even down to the crew that runs the floor. Mm. I mean, think of how many gate drops there is and all the coordination, getting everything that way. Also, you know, what was totally different for World Supercross is because there are um, 10 team owners that have equity stake. Nobody else is allowed to race unless it's a wild card. The wild card doesn't have to race under the umbrella of a team i don't think if i remember correctly um but the pit setups and the execution of all that stuff each team has three of these big custom-made crates that get shipped around the world and a certain amount of coordination with the team of what goes in there and and all that i mean it's a whole new way to go racing you know i think we nailed it with press conferences pre and post um marketing stuff was really fun uh social media team did a kick-ass job and all that's just going to get better you know I, I mean the 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 broadcast team will have more more uh, cohesion and be able to bring more flavor of the individual countries and and locations that we're at to the viewers around the world so yeah, yeah, I think um, as far as the live events went, I mean, obviously I was, I was only at Melbourne, but I mean, I'd been to their stuff before, so it's like I kind of knew, knew what to expect. But yeah, I guess as like a, as a live event, it was pretty epic. And I think that, I think one of the things that we're yet to see with the World Supercross is how good they are at storytelling uh, in terms of like, in terms of media and and the the stuff that they can produce i mean last year they only were able to have two rounds which everyone's like oh you call it a world championship like <laughs> with the only doing two, it's like all right bro well yeah well the race in uh, jakarta didn't didn't happen it's supposed to be three you know we've had a three-round world championship before but right hey rome wasn't yeah built. rome not, wasn't built in a day no no and that's the people that that uh uh didn't like the idea of this new championship were easily you know took a look at that and wanted yeah. to criticize that okay well hey five years from now when we're doing 20 events globally you know then you know you can come pat us on the back and give us compliments yeah so i think even just off those the two events that they did i think that fans are gonna f get a, a picture this year of the type of content that they're going to be able to create. Um, and I think that that's what they do the best. And I think that if you, if you look at what other sports really excel, they're the sports that have an amazing content package. And it's not like, yeah. it's not a knock at Feld. It's not, I'm not trying to be like negative of anybody saying some people are shit, some people are not. But we've never really had a content package 
around Supercross that's like even close to the level at which it can be done. But I'd say the same thing about MotoGP. So again, I'm not being a fucking hater. It's just there's mm. levels to the game and there's some there's some sports that just do it way better. NFL, bro. When I was in America, I was the most staunch fuck the NFL pads and helmets are lame like i was that guy for so long until i watched hard knocks and my fucking life changed bro season one of hard knocks made me a lifetime football fan and that is an example of content being done right the nfl does it top to bottom and i think that that's probably you know like espn's got a lot to do with that like there's there's reasons why. Well, I mean, you've got multiple, multiple networks that have access to that. I mean, all of those hard knocks, all that was on HBO. It's not even a sports network per se, yeah. you know, um, and they're bringing you that type of content. And they're also being <clears throat> the NFL was open to expanding it during during my lifetime as as a as a supercross motocross racer for a long time. There were like everything was held so tightly yeah. that if you wanted to come in and do something, oh no, you don't have the rights to do that. Yeah. And, you know, in this day and age, yes, the, the, the network is paying for the rights for the live broadcast or even the re-airs, but you have to allow a company like Verb Moto to come in and shoot content on the starting line or practice and and then create that because you're they're really promoting your sport for you yep. and so that's been a big shift you know supercross global and world supercross the the plans to do more of that behind the scenes stuff um get the get the helmets off the riders and tell these stories is all it's it's what's so important it's like for me you watch like uh, the kentucky derby yep. right i love watching the horse racing and all that i can watch all day I mean, all day. And these great stories about this jockey or this horse or this trainer or yep. this, this, you know, where, where, like all that stuff gives you a reason to, oh, okay, when it comes to that race, I'm betting the number eight, you know, that owner, I connected with them some way. And so now I want that horse and jockey to win, yeah. you know, and that that's our job is, is uh, with the broadcast is to help educate um, inform the viewers on these different writers, their personalities, their background, the team, the this, the that, something. Whereas a viewer, you latch onto that, you go, okay, oh, that's my guy. That's my that's my writer. Oh, I really like to see them win. Oh, wow, I didn't realize that person or whatever had gone through some hardship. I totally relate to that, and, and now I connect with that, right? And so that's what what the best leagues and championships in the world do. And as as we grow this thing, there's just going to be more and more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you've got an international field too, like, I mean, I said at the, the press conference, I'm like, dude, if Ken Roxon's the guy that headlines German, the German Supercross, I mean, that's massive news across an entire mm. country, you know, like you just, you, that's, it's such a, a wild storyline to, to kind of follow and like Dean Wilson has been announced that he's doing world supercross again this year. It's like, he's from the UK. Like he has an English 
albeit a strange English accent, but he has well, he's English, Scottish, Canadian, UK, Californian. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got his own. Yeah, Ma- he's got his Max own Anstey just won a Supercross race this past weekend. Mm-hmm. He's going to be racing at his home Supercross. I mean, there's something so cool to that. Yeah, yeah, and and it'll really, you know, once we get into these different countries and you know you got guys like pellegrini and 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 these guys that um really become supercross specialists in a time period where in their country or even in europe supercross wasn't yeah there, there wasn't really a good outlet yeah. you know that's that's what's what's going to be interesting i talked about the split before is some of these guys who ride supercross amazing um especially if you put them in the categories being european like they may go to a sand race and a hurlings will ride super ride circles around them but what they don't understand is they may come to supercross and this guy may do the same thing to hurlings mm. you know what i mean because they're that much that much specialist and so we're really going to see sort of a division there and i don't see it as being a negative thing i just see it as it being a new opportunity for these riders to to sort of specialize in what they're good at yeah yeah and i think that in the next few years too you think about um i guess like the whole euro thing has been they're they're so focused on on motocross but you start to give them a chance now like you know that there's going to be a handful of supercross races every year in europe i mean the path to being a professional racer starts to look a whole lot different for a whole generation of of guys there's there's a couple young dudes that are riding for the adamo brothers apparently they want to do supercross like they've just they're all they're killing it right now in the gps and i watched the uh one of the brothers he writes a factory ktm he actually won uh trentino that i was at and i looked at him i was like that kid is built for supercross like the style the technique yeah. you know so even the like forget about the american guys that can or can't or will or won't whatever supercross we're forgetting that there's a rich history of european supercross races that essentially defied the odds to you know to make it in supercross and it's like now you're going to give all those kids a chance to do it in their home countries like bud racing is a french team i mean even that's a super interesting thing that maybe not many people are thinking about well it was just a few short years ago it wasn't that long ago that nobody had heard of hunter and jet lawrence yeah. and now they're two of the biggest names in the in the sport uh globally and so there'll, there'll be a trickle down too there'll be a trickle down effect to that um where it starts to spawn you know interest in racing in in different areas of the you know of the world i mean there could be a time 10 years from now there may be a team or a track or a a, a racing series in dubai yeah granted it'd be a sand supercross track yeah. but but you know we've actually been we've could, actually been be figuring out where we can source clay there's discussions that are that are, that are that there's got to be people in dubai that know how to get some clay yeah yeah they, they can they can make a lot of stuff out of nothing there from what i've seen yeah like if, if we can get oil right. if we can get heaps of oil from like way under the <laughs> sea i'm pretty sure we can get a stadium full of dirt 
Yeah. But but That's you're right, sure. man. I mean, like, the and the people here are just mad on motorsports too. Just insane for anything fast that has wheels. Yeah, and I, I've seen a bit of a transition with the sport just in general. You know, like I go out to uh, you know out to Paris Raceway, you know, pretty close to the house. Like, what what a motocross slash supercross track can be. Yeah. Like as the sport, as there becomes some some division, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but there's there'll be some tracks that are super speedways, and some are your short tracks. And you can put a Supercross-style motocross track in just about everywhere, yeah. you know? You can do it in about an acre or two. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't need a lot of space. Um, whereas, you know, you take it back to uh, the, the late 40s, 1940s, when scrambles became the thing. They raced, <clears throat> they raced, they took these street bikes, found some how made some knobby tires or something and raced them in the hillsides right so there'll still be there the desire to go race that style of off-road dirt bike motorcycle racing but then there's also going to be hey we need to condense this down into something that's something that's reasonable you may go to thailand 10 years from now and they've got some some you know bikes that are made there in southeast asia that are you know 150 cc motocross supercross looking bikes and they're right you know they will have built a small track like the size of a pup track or something and, and be racing around you know um i think that all that is possible yeah nice no that'd be cool yeah I i'm not sure what ones i'm gonna get to yet i think i'll definitely be uh at the the british gp uh f1 is either like the week after or the week before so it's kind of like the perfect week and i think yeah, yeah, and I think World Superbike is on the same weekend as the race. So I could, I think it could be where I could go to World Superbike and then go to World Supercross at night and then the next week. Oh, be shit. Form- so it could, it's like the gnarliest week of motorsport. So I think uh, I'll definitely What, so be- it's not all in England the same weekend? So the World Superbike is in England and world supercross and that's at donnington i'm right? pretty sure yeah and then and then world supercross, supercross is Birmingham? That, that night yeah and then f1 is sunday at Silver no Street. the no the next weekend oh the weekend after i was like man, so like for a week about splitting up the fan base for a week of of motorsports that's probably the yeah. best week to be a, a motorsports fan in the uk so i think that wow. might that might be my one yeah, fingers crossed that there's that there's no rain, right? Yeah. So, so uh, before before we finish this up, I can't. There's actually so much more shit. We'll have to definitely do this again. <laughs> uh, I can't finish this particular podcast though without asking you about Manjimup 1992. Oh yeah, Motocross of Nations, 92. Iconic photo, an iconic photo of you hitting that wall berm standing up on a 125 pretty much yeah. dragging your bars for the americans was, that don't know how fucking good is that track uh it 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 was really difficult because the the bottom is sandy and then the hillsides are like hard hard and with granite, super gnarly yeah. square edge bumps it was really difficult um and that picture that you're referring to, that was that was shot uh, Saturday during uh, 
you know, one of the qualifying practices. And the great story about that, which I didn't know until uh, 10 years ago, but um, uh, dear friend uh, Scott Brunsman, who was with Monza. Yeah, forever, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dude, he's, he's, he, at, he's at Monza again now. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So the story is him and his, his buddy, um, J- uh, J- Jerry, I think was the guy's name. They went to the race. They had... So they had a whole plan set up. They didn't have yeah. any. You you might have heard the story, but yeah, so yeah, they have. Yeah. I'm they so go, pumped to tell it. They go to the race. They set up this story that they're media people, <laughs> and they had one of the girlfriends is at home waiting by the phone. Keep in mind, this is 1992. You actually called somewhere. They had made up like fake business cards, and they go to the event, go to like the press credentials, and like, oh yeah, we're, we're such and such pop, uh, publication. We're here to here to cover the race. And they're like, oh, you know, uh, we don't see you guys on the list. Oh, are you sure? Like, you want to – so so for whatever reason, they took the business card and called the home offices. Hey, we need to verify that these that these two guys are working for – oh, yes, hello, how are you doing? Yes, oh, yeah, we've sent them on, on a, you know, on a – you know, do a story on this race. Okay, I guess you guys are good. Slap, like, VIP wristbands on them all. <laughs> Ter- Terry is the guy's name. He had one 35 millimeter camera with like the standard lens, like just a small lens. So they couldn't, you know, without the long lens, you, you got to get really close to the action. Well, they were literally like he was telling me that Terry was laying on the track and Scott had his feet and he got some picture of, uh, of uh, JMB, Jean-Michel Bale, like he'd take the picture and then Scotty would yank him off the track by his feet, and then they went to after the the everything was over on Saturday. They went to some place where they developed the you know the photos, put them into film, um, and that next day I remember autographing one of those pictures. And it's this whole story is they got like full press VIP treatment, and yet they bullshitted their way through the entire thing. And that photo came out of that whole weekend of com- complete bullshit as they pulled it off. And it's one of the most iconic photos. I, but they I missed think- it. It was, it was a little grainy. It was a little grainy, right? It was a little underexposed, I think, or whatever. And, uh, but, it, but it was what it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah I just... People I, ask I, me about that all the time. Yeah, man. It's, and Scott, so then to go on to like your partnership with Scott, with shift scotty's a really good mate of mine he's actually fucking i think he's one of the best people in in motorcycles period but then cool that you do your thing with shift and fox and then he was obviously a part of that through monza for so long like it's just it's crazy that they took that photo and then not only that like the career that he went on to have that you were involved with for so long too you know so it was probably close to eight or ten years ago we were doing um shift and fox uh sales meetings down in australia we were going to tell this story and scotty eventually eventually wrote about it in one of the magazines so he had reconnected with his buddy Terry that 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 took the actual photo he had the slide I don't know this guy had a pretty loose program that yeah. he's passed on since then R.I.P. Terry um, but he actually still had the slide and so we were doing a little stage show a little dog and pony show and talking about it this whole thing I just explained somewhere between his house and actually getting there Terry lost the slide 
No. So it's gone forever. It's gone forever. Oh. Carrie and the slider, both gone. Fuck, that's so hectic. What? And, what and, you- and Scotty's like, hey, this guy's pretty loose. He's like, so when we're on stage, there were, there were two mics. He's like, don't give Terry the mic. Hold that's, the mic. Don't, don't give so it to good. him. <laughs> and they had this crazy w- weekend where they just lived the life, like super fan the whole thing and, and just fake their way into it. It was Dude, so amazing. I, I love that. What do you remember about that weekend? Um, that in the last practice on Sunday morning, uh, um, I bruised my thumb and I, I, I came in and we were working out of some like box truck thing. Steve Butler wasn't at that event with me. Brian Lunas was working on, working on my bike that weekend. I was a factory Yamaha and I come in and I'm inside the deal and I go, Oh, Brian, I, Oh man, I, I think I broke my thumb or something. And he like slaps me in the face and he's like, shut the fuck up. Don't say a word about this to anyone. Get on that bike and ride that bike. I don't want to hear another word about your thumb today. And I was 21. Like he just, he just slapped me. He just, he just, uh, okay. And I remember we had, they uh, paraded us around the track in these little utes uh, with like a little roll cage thing in the, in the bed of it. And I was having to hold on to it and I couldn't hold on. And the whole time I'm going, Oh my God, it's my first motocross of nations. I'm, I'm representing the country. You know, I've got this epic battle with Everts and some of these guys that I have to do today. Gate drop, never thought about it. Everts and I have this epic battle. I end up winning the 125 class. Uh, you know, Team USA wins. Uh, and never thought about the thumb again. Dude, that's so sick. I mean, yeah. my face probably hurt more than my thumb. <laughs> yeah, dude. The, the roost there is so gnarly, eh? Yeah, and when you've got 500s that are just blasting you, yeah. That big, long straight. No. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the experience. And when, when you're a part of that, you know, you're kind of bringing back sort of the, the national pride comment earlier and when you're standing on the top of the podium uh roy jansen was our team manager uh, i rode 125 laraco mike laraco rode 250 billy Lyle's 500 epic epic battle the last race was like both billy and mike had to ride their ass off to for us to win it and they play the national anthem and you hoist the chamberlain trophy and being the first time like it was really really memorable and just such a proud moment you know so yeah. I bet uh I bet too because people would have no idea just how long it would have taken for you to get to Manjimup from oh, yeah. California in nineteen. It's literally the other side of the world. Like completely, I mean, you, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it and it felt that way too. You know, it was nineteen ninety two. I remember going to Perth and it just felt like everything was like twenty years behind. You know, I'm sure things have caught up some now, but but everything just felt like like um, it was so remote from every place else. Um, and I do remember, uh, so during that time, we still had two more races left in the Pro Motocross Championship here in America. Oh, really? Where Michael Rocco and I were like nose huh. to nose trying to win the 125 title. And Mike and I didn't, you know, he's not a real talkative guy to begin with, especially then. And we had to do all this stuff together as a team. Um, and I remember riding back in one of the, the vans. We were riding back from the track back to where we were staying. And Mike kind of like, he says, man, we really kicked their ass today. And I remember kind of being like, are, are you talking to me? 
you know, like kind of wait. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah, that was a good, that was a good day for us, you know. Kind of we broke the ice a little bit, but then that's we didn't talk much, you know, because we were always really pretty intense rivals. Man, that's a crazy kind of deal. Because now, I mean, I just I feel like when it comes to donations nowadays, the all the boys are so like kind of team focused you know like to be back, definitely to be back then and to barely say a word to the dude that you just won the chamberlain trophy with yeah we're riding like sitting next to each other because you would have yeah. been in the car the whole time it's like three hours to manage yeah. from perth so it's like you've got to be in the oh, car yeah. for three hours together yeah. like. and what's and what's ironic uh about five years ago or so um i got a divorce one day i'm going um going to my local restaurant wood ranch if anybody knows it love it and i go in to sit down at the bar watch some football on a sunday afternoon woman sitting here guy sitting here i sat there and all of a sudden mike larocco's sitting right next to me wow. we sat there and chat we sat there and chatted for two hours about family and kids and divorce and all this stuff he's got a son named jagger that's about five or six months younger than my son jagger they now are friends. They go to the same school. They have a mutual friend that they hung out with. His kid used to come stay at my house. Like, if you had said in 1992 that Michael Rocco would have a kid and he would be staying over at my place, right? Like, you'd, yeah, you'd say, no way. But yeah, so we got two Jaggers. And the first time, first time we pick up Jagger LaRocco, they're in the back of my vehicle. And, and my son goes, Hey, dad, didn't you kick his dad once or, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, talking yeah. about San Diego 93. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 I did. Yeah, I did. Right. They were like 12 or something at the time, you know. Dude, I, I think so it's I always think it's it. I always think no it's so uh, yeah, I always think it's so funny that the people that like there's so few of you that reach the heights that you guys reached in supercross and motocross there's so few of you you've known each other for forever your entire lives and you just spend your entire lives not talking and not and there's really not that many other people that you can relate to in that way or that shared the intensity of the experience that you went through for that certain period of your time and then you know you hear so many stories of guys like i mean ricky and james in the booth right now or james and chad i mean i remember chad did the podcast in like 2018 i was like bro i'm telling you right now it doesn't feel like it but you and james will 100 percent play a game of golf today and you'll 100 percent be friends you know but in the moment you just no, cannot because you're, ever see that happening yeah you're you're two young guys. You guys are both going for the same thing in life on the track, off the track. You, you know, it just becomes a competition that way. And I know that with my battles with Jeremy McGrath and that sort of thing that that people hearken back to as being this this great era and and they appreciated, you know, what that what that was, you know, keep in mind, I got my ass kicked in Supercross quite a bit and those nights sucked. Right. Um, You know, but eventually you get yours and and all this. But I I didn't appreciate the moment or that situation then like I do now. Mm. And there's there's 
there were two documentaries that I watched that really changed my perspective on all of it. One was on Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Yeah. The other okay. was on John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg. And seeing how, you know, tennis is one on one, basketball is a team sport, but yet you knew it was Magic and Bird that were out there. The, the other players were pawns, right? But to have lived that moment and that competition within the competition and being so focused on an adversary to where it drove you to a place that you wouldn't have gone without it okay really fortunate to have had an opportunity to be presented with that challenge in life and those guys like Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe they elevated the competition and it was like, yeah, there's 50 people that entered the U.S. Open tournament or whatever, however many it is. But when we get to the finals, we know who it's going to be. Yeah. And it's it's and these guys were like the rest of you are all in the way. You're just steps on the way to what the goal is. The goal is we, we've got to do this, you know, and that I appreciate that, you know, even with the failures, even the the shit times. The, the 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 times where I was victorious and and became the champion, it really made those those uh, those victories and all that really special. Like yeah. really gives it some weight, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a really cool way to to put that. And you know, I think about what it what it does globally for the sport. Like you think about you think about what your battles with Jeremy did for guys like Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart and Travis Pastrana. Mm -hmm. It's like you, you elevate, it takes guys like you to elevate the sport to a new level. And then that then becomes this new baseline for reality of like, this is how fast you can go on a supercross track. This is how fast you can go on a motocross bike. And then the next generation just brings that level from the start and then they Mm. get into a rivalry and like James and Ricky and some of those battles are just outrageous. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there were, I mean, there were times where James, Ricky, Chad, they might qualify three seconds faster than whoever else was not in that group. I mean, just, just like totally, totally different levels. And, um, and the fact that that you push each other um that if you want to be great if you if you want to be the champion here's here's what you have to do and you know there are fans that that love mcgrath fans that were super supportive for me and they get to then go to the race and have that have that thing you know and there are certain Riders, even riders today, that will be make a, a fantastic living in the sport, yeah, um, and have levels of of uh, uh, you know of success that'd be great and all that. But what you're going for, the goal should be that thing where you're at the very top, and to 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 be able to live that, and and also, you know you have to have respect for the adversary um, that when it, it like if second sucks, then what did the champion actually do? 
Yeah. You know, and I, I taking it back kind of the broadcasting is I want to make sure that they realize that the fans realize that Adam Intignap qualifying 22nd, he is a bad motherfucker. Yeah. So without saying it, Dungy won the race. So what's that make Dungy? If the guy's 22nd, you know, and then in this thing with this rivalry is you, you take the first and second and they swap it back and forth. And pretty soon you just start to elevate yourself from everybody else. The other guys are trying to get in the mix, but, but we've seen it time and time again that very rarely can you keep three guys in the championship. That hunt. That's what's really special about what's happening like right now yeah. with, with Supercross here in America. But at that level, normally it sorts out to two because you really just start to, you start to clip who wants it the most, you know? And um, most of the time it, it becomes between two guys willing to give it whatever they got to give. And somebody's going to win and somebody's not. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's it it's, Super cool. Well, hey, uh, this has been an epic three hours, bro. I know you've got a long hour. Three hours already? That's yeah, it? We, yeah, we hit it, bro. Uh, yeah. You, uh, hey, uh, before I go, though, I yeah, did yeah. want to, as I sat here and I, my sort of fidget um, thing I fidget with is my DC ring is uh, just, you know, say a word about Ken Block and Mate, actually, how, yes, how amazing he, uh, he was and just acknowledge his his contributions as a as a friend his contribution in business and sport and he was such a a big fan of supercross and and what all of us did and really opened uh was a big advocate for it where he was one of those brand leaders that saw a vision and had the balls to go for it and start started to blend skate surf snow moto all these all these uh, sports together and really give Supercross an incredible recognition and open it up to a new uh, group of fans that might not have without um, his uh, contribution. So big, Mate, big loss I, this year. Yeah. I, it's uh, I was never really lucky enough to spend much time with him, but he was always a guy that like you get those people that it's almost like they transcend what it is that they're involved in initially and he seemed like a guy that really transcended like action sports he transcended business but in in transcending those things he elevated those things to his level if that makes sense and i just think that that's such a we just owe him such a debt in that in yeah. that sense he had a, a totally separate level than anybody else has. I mean, you look when when they did the celebration of life at Woodward up in Park City, um, incredible turnout. But every his way of doing things was fearless. Every mountain bike, motorcycle, car, snowmobile, UTV, whatever it was, he was like it was Ken Block. It was wrapped. It was his flavor. It was we're gonna fucking go for it. And there was never any doubt. And what he, what he, after all the people that spoke at the event, everybody from his business partners to friends to athletes, he saw something in me that I mm. couldn't see in myself. And then with DC, okay, now we've got the means, the ability, whether it's the, the conduit with content or it needs financial backing or whatever 
for you to go do this, but I'm going to invest in this with the company. Everything we have in the company is riding on this. You can do it. You have to go do it. You're not going to fail. You can do this. Believe it and then go for it. Right. And it was just absolutely fearless. Just and that's how he lived his life. And and it's really sad that he's gone. But it is it is the the fact that that we all got to be friends with him, work with him, be a part of what his dream in life was and be along for the ride is just I feel so blessed to have had a friendship with him. And and I wish I'd have got to spend more time with him in these latter years. But, uh, you know, yeah, quite the quite the human being. Where'd your friendship with him start? Well, Rhino first became friends with him and he started coming around, you know, races. And then eventually, you know, Rhino was probably the first moto guy to get a shoe deal. And then it's, you know, one thing led to another, do custom shoes for us and sponsorship and getting on the payroll and ads and things like that. You know, I mean, the advertising that he would do, like he didn't give a shit. He was like where, like when I got caught with weed and got fired, we did a motocross action version of one ad and then we did a racer X version. Well, it was me doing a knack knack, which I rarely ever did. And the motocross action version, the tagline said, ever wonder what it would feel like or something like that. And the racer X version said, Clinton still has his job. <laughs> like, dude, it was the same year, wasn't it? And, and Ken was like, dude, <laughs> if you were a skater, and you got yeah. busted like this and got in trouble as much press as you've got. I would have had to pay you bonuses for all this, yeah, you know, yeah, but in yeah. your sport, you're being, you know, so he was just brilliant that way. And, and he was a brilliant, um, you know, not just in what he did, his vision with business and stuff like that, but just as a friend. I mean, it, it was it's a, it's a tough loss. But also on the flip side is is, you know, we we all got to uh, experience his friendship and be around him and make incredible memories. Like we did a, a two week moto wakeboard trip one time up to Washougal and back and with Lucy and bots, Blair, everybody. And, um, when, when nine 11 happened, we was actually up in Bass Lake in Northern California on a week long trip. We were all living in, living in the same house, wakeboarding, mountain bike, Z fifties, everything for a week, you know, just incredible memories. And, and, um, so I'm going to miss him. So just, yeah, to I, I think that, um, no, I'm glad you said something actually. Cause it's, um, yeah, I haven't really got to sort of talk about it or anything, uh, anything since, but there's one thing that I always kind of like take some kind of solace in when it feels like some, someone left too soon is that they kind of get immortalized at a really powerful time in their life, you know, like, obviously yeah. he was you know in his 50s or whatever but it's like no sign of like it still seemed like he was on the up and it's like at least with you know obviously it's it's so fucked up what happened but like he get, kind of gets to just be a north star for everybody to look at and it's like yeah. that vision of him as he was at his best that's what's in stone now you know and i think that yeah. there's I don't know. Like, I guess that's at least what I sort of tell myself when there's, when those sorts of things yeah. happen. Better, better to have had it and lost it than to have never had it at all. Right. Um, type of thing. I mean, it, yeah, obviously the, the, the real, you know, sad downer part is, is with the kids and Lucy and, 
yeah lucy losing a losing a husband and the kids losing um a father and and what guidance and everything that would have played but that's that's life for us because we don't get to pick and choose you know we don't we don't we don't know that. And and one thing that I took away from that is I made a note to myself and it's kind of like, um, God, I forget, I've got it on my phone, but it's like, it, essentially the note was like, get busy living. Mm. Like here I'm at this celebration of life. It's super sad. We're all shedding tears, a lot of emotion, but the message to me was, dude, you got to fucking live while you're here. Mm. You know what I mean? Like live life, go for it. You got to work hard. You got to play hard. You got to love hard. You got to forgive. Um, you got to reach out to people. It's like, damn, man, why didn't I, you know, God, how long it it had been a few months since I'd seen Ken or even talked to him, you know, and you're like, you know, so the messages, you know, are, are pretty strong through that, but certainly wasn't don't go do action sports. Mm. Don't, don't be involved in this out of the other. The, the message is, hell yeah, go for it. Like, if that's what you love doing, and this is why I tell people about riding motocross, might be a good way to, to end it, is like, if, whatever it is, but like for me, it's riding motocross, riding dirt bikes. If that puts living in your life, then go do it. If it doesn't, go do something else. Whatever else it is that gives you that feeling of life. Like, when I just start riding this week again, like, yeah, it sucks. My hands hurt. I'm like, feel like I've never ridden a motorcycle, but I love the feeling I get from riding motocross. Yeah. And I'm 52. So that's what I'm going to go do. And that's the message that I feel like Ken would tell us if he was right here with us right now, he'd be like, dude, you got to go for it because you don't ever know when it's going to be over. Yeah. Go for it. Live life and go hard. Like, don't be afraid and be fearless. So. No, nah, yeah, beautiful, mate. Well, um, I really appreciate this. I uh, Me thoroughly, too. thoroughly enjoyed uh, that three hours. It flew by. We could, <laughs> we could easily do another three. So, um, so yeah, man. Anytime, anytime you want to come back on, open invite. Um, I'll be seeing you appreciate at some it. races uh, as well. But yeah, thanks, man. I like honestly, really, really enjoyed it. I knew I would, and it was as good as I hoped it'd be. So, thank you, Bella. I appreciate it, Jace. Yeah, and thanks everybody for. Uh, watching this and supporting uh, gypsy tales um um stoked to uh, be on here and love having these conversations so see y'all in birmingham in a few months epic brother